What is up, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 606 of the Hot Tags of the Week here on Smart Out Moments, where we are going to go over the news, reviews, discussions, anything that's happening in the world of professional wrestling right now. I'm your host for this edition, Callum Wiggins, and joining me, as always, Robert DeFelice. That's right. I am the perennial co-host of Smart Out Moment, and I'm always excited when Callum's in the host chair. It changes up the flow a little bit, changes up the discussion, and let's get into it. It was a pretty big week. Yep, we are really a substitute teacher edition of the Hot Tags here, where I'll be stepping into the host position while Tony takes a well-deserved break over in Brazil, I believe. He's back in uh, back in Brazil for a bit of time. Yes. So hopefully he's enjoying himself there. He's not having to think about pro wrestling that much, can just enjoy some nice food, some nice humidity. And uh, yeah, so we will take over from here. As Rob says, it is a it's a big wrestling week. There's a lot of big things to discuss. Just a few things that we'll be rattling off include the, the start of the G1 this weekend, Slammiversary of this weekend. There's some big news coming out of AEW, some people arriving in the company, some people leaving the company. So we're going to discuss all of that stuff. Um, I think we should usually take the thing to start off with maybe a more of a sombre note before we pick back up. So I think we'll start with the sad news of the death of uh, Mike Halleck, uh, former, formerly known, better known from his time in WWE as Mantor. Um a gimmick that we've discussed at length and probably routinely mocked at length as the the gimmick itself. But yeah, it's obviously sad news that when anyone, any member of the wrestling community passes away. Yeah. Unfortunately, like outside of the little bits as Mantar and even mostly as Mantar, I only know the 95 Rumble. You know, he didn't get to make flash that I'm sure he would have wanted. I do know that he, once that gimmick was what it was, he stayed around for a while as the usher for Goldust and sort of just did his own thing. And it's unfortunate to hear that he passed away. And we send our thoughts and condolences. Yeah, absolutely. The condolences to his friends, family and fans. And yeah, 55 like even even in a world of like professional wrestling where we're used to people passing away at I guess like reasonably young age, it still feels too young. Yeah, fifty five is far too young. Yeah. So unfortunate news there. So we just wanted to make sure that we paid our respects to the former mantor because he has given us the gimmick itself might not have been the everyone's cup of tea, but it has given a lot of wrestling media and a lot of uh like those list things and articles it's given them a lot of uh room to play with because of how uh unbelievably uh infamous that gimmick is so. yeah and he tried his best honestly there i think if it shows up maybe five years six years beforehand in an era that's dominated by hulk maybe that gimmick isn't as silly but where it was placed it was out of place and he did the best he could, you know. So before we move on to a few of the other stuff, I might just get a few little bits of plugs out of the way because Tony usually does that off the top. So I think I'll just throw just a, a bit out there to say if you are uh, interested in what we have to say on this stuff, then drop a comment below. 
leave a like on the video uh, yeah, just, just give us a thumbs up if you want to become a member or support us on the patreon over on patreon.com slash moment uh chuck a bit of spare change our way that's all greatly appreciated just wanted to throw a few bits out there because tony probably is already getting mad at me that i haven't actually <laughs> promoted anything just yet but we'll, we'll filter in a few other plugs i usually try and be a bit more fast and loose about this stuff so i want to get on to the wrestling because the wrestling's exciting and the thing that i'm most of this weekend is the g1 g1 climax is back baby this is the thing that new japan does every year outside of wrestle kingdom in my opinion so g1 climax 33 there are 32 participants this year rob how excited are you for the g1 climax 33 the g1 this year feels a little more akin to it did before the pandemic you know i think this time around you've got a lot of fresh faces but they have the chance to have a proper g1 they have the chance to you know really make some names and i'm hoping that we see maybe a breakthrough star win this tournament so forgive us if you're not a big follower of new japan we are probably going to spend close to the next half an hour discussing this maybe because there's a lot to break down and i'm super excited about it so hopefully that at least translate across um, what i would say so, to anyone who doesn't know about new japan is hey if you know about aew there's a good chance the top guys in this if they haven't already would soon bleed over into the aew scene by next year's door. So the shows kick off this weekend. So July 15th and 16th will be the first two shows taking place at the uh, Hokkaido Ki- uh, Kitiel. And then the final show will take place in August 13th, August 12th and 13th in the uh, uh, Ryogaku Kokugikan. Uh, Sorry, my Japanese is terrible. So I'm not going <laughs> to try that yeah. stuff too much. Maybe I've, maybe I've overshot myself there, but... Well, the thing that's exciting about this one is, as I said, there's 32 people involved. They are split, split into four blocks of eight people each. And difference to last year's one where they did this approach, but then only had a semi-finals and final, this year round, they are going to have a quarterfinals. So there'll be two people who qualified from each block who will then face each other in certain configurations. So the winner of block A will face the second place a person in block c top of block b will place the second place in block d and so on and so forth then you have the semi-finals between whoever wins those ones and then the finals will determine the grand winner of the g1 climax so it's slightly different approach they're taking this year but i guess with the quality of the names involved you can understand why they want to stretch it out maybe a little bit further yeah and i think it's interesting how they've really embraced the idea of a C block and a D block. It shows the, the change through the years. Cause I, I remember when it was just, you know, A, B, and the, then the winners will fight. But there, as I look at this, the placement of some people is very telling as to where they are in the pecking order. Mm-hmm. And I think for sure we will have a first time winner. Exciting. Well, uh, there's definitely a good possibility of that. I think that 
for those that don't know as well, G1 Climax, the way that it works is that it is a round robbing tournament to start with. So everybody within their respective blocks faces everybody in their block. You get two points for a victory, one point for a draw and zero points for a defeat. All matches this year also have a 20 minute time limit as opposed to the 30 minute time limits they've had in the past. So it's a bit more condensed due to the volume of matches that will be taking place. And it also means that there might be some more close near finishes. There might be a few more draws in there than we've uh, come, become accustomed to. So, so, yeah, again, there's a lot of possibility to mix it up. But let's not waste any more time and break down block by block. Block A is probably the block I'm actually most interested and maybe excited about. And I think that's shared with a lot of people is the very kind of young, the young upstart group. Uh, block A involves uh, the current uh, IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Sonada. It also has Chase Owens representing Bullet Club, or what we assume is Bullet Club. I don't know if he is still a member of Bullet Club because his Bullet Club has changed completely recently. But as of right now, as all of you know, he's still part of Bullet Club. Uh, Hikuleo, uh, Ren Narita, Shota Umino, Yotsuji of Los Japan. Yeah, hello, Joe. Uh, Gabriel Kidd of the new Bullet Club War Dogs and Kaito Kiyomiya of Noah. So the first of the two outsiders to New Japan to be in this uh, tournament. So break this down. So th- as I say, this is kind of viewed as a very, not so much a young lion, but a very young future of the company based group. You've got Sonata who's been there for a while, but he is still probably in most people's eyes because they're quite a young upper coming world champion whereas and also the bigger picture is the three members of the new um they're the new three musketeers so that is Shoto Umino, Ren Rita and Yotsuji who've been christened by New Japan even though none of them seem to be happy about being called these new three musketeers and everyone I was else in the company say... hates, it, hates it as well apparently but that is I think that is completely by design and the other interesting thing about this is Kaito Kiyomiya, like one of the major stars of Noah, who's had some interactions with New Japan this year through their working relationship and the shows that they do. And he's had a quite a quite notable rivalry with Kazuchika Okada over the past year as well. So that could potentially come to head. They're not in the same block in this one, but who knows what would happen later on in the tournament if they both managed to get to advance. But this has this is a group of people that a lot of them, this is their first ever G1. I believe pretty much pretty much for everyone. Uh, I'd say about so for Kaito, Kiyomiya, Gabriel Kidd, Yotosuji, Sotorum and, and Ren Narita, I believe this is all their first G1s. So it's new. It's interesting. It's a new direction for New Japan. Like this group is really kind of the foundation for what New Japan might look like, the top stars of New Japan might look like in the next five years or so. Yeah, and I think it's absolutely the most intriguing in terms of who should win because I look at Yoda Suji and I see a guy who is there now, that he can be that guy now. But as I just looked at the format of the tournament and how it would shake out, it appears the only way to get to a potential Kaimiya Okada match would be to have them both win their respective blocks. So there's also that. And there's also the fact of, listen, the first, uh, on July 25th, the first match of this, or not 25th, 
one of the matches in this tournament is going to be Sonata and Kaito Kaimiya, which will really lead to you know, something absolutely special if the guy from Noah can beat the IWGP champion and then have to wrestle the IWGP champion. Yeah, that's the the other interesting aspect of this group is that Sonada as the world champion, if he was to lose any of his matches, the person that defeats him would have an immediate opportunity to fight for the world championship at a later date, whether they win the G1 or not. So depending on how many people defeat Sonada in the build up to this, we might have some interesting matches in the lead up to Wrestle Kingdom. So I'm really excited about this group. I'm really I'm really interested in Gabriel Kidd run because I don't know if you saw the um the press conference they did uh, in the build up to uh, G1 earlier today. I did not. Uh, so Gabriel Kidd definitely stole the show with his um with his uh well promo if you want to call it that. He basically got up there. Um, he threw a war bottle at Carter, who then basically laughed and said, <laughs> "Good shit." And he got and he got in Okada's face. Then he cut a promo about how he had been uh, like forgotten by this company and pushed aside. How he'd gone from being uh, struggling with mental health issues in section to 16 months later being in the G1. And then he basically said, "If uh, you don't, why, why bother waiting until G1 when all the people are here right now?" And then he leapt across the table to attack Yoasuji, just wow. beat him up a little bit, and then clotheslined. Uh, Kiyomiya right out of his seat and then got dragged away by security. See, that's fun. That's what I think Bullet Club should be. I like the new direction of Bullet Club. I think maybe the faction name has, you know, worn out its welcome. But I like the direction of trying to make it a more violent club again instead of it being, you in know, jokes. yeah, in jokes and two sweets and suckets. And that was fun. But now I think this next generation can do a lot of good with it. So in terms of predictions for this one, so there's a lot of ways you can go here. I don't think there's super clear. I think you can rule out Chase Owens and Hikaleo from advancing straight off the bat. I think Gabriel Kidd is probably too soon for him, but I think he'll have a good showing. Um, the rest of them, you could really kind of toss a coin almost about which of the two are going to go through. Which two are you pointing towards? And give the configuration, who do you think is going to win the group and who do you think is runner-up? So, uh, as much as I really think Yoda should be the winner, I'm looking at it and I actually think Kaimi is going to come out on top. And I think runner-up will have to be Sonata because he's still the champion and, you know, you need to keep him looking strong. But uh, it's hard, though. I, you know, like, this is a really tight-knit group. So I'm actually going to do a little maverick thing here, and I don't believe that Sonata's going to get out of this group. I think he's going to lo- lose twice, and I think one of the losses is going to push him out of the top two. So I'm actually going for I'm going to go for Suji to get his victory, get his victory over Sonata that, after losing in the in the world title match at Dominion. So I'm going to okay. have Suji go through and I'm going to have Kiyomiya go in as runner-up. I mean, I think Suji's going to win the, the group. I like it. I, I think unless there's a definitive determination not to have Kiyomiya touch 
Okada outside of the Tokyo Dome or something. I feel like he has to win, but there are other ways to get there, and I would love to see Suji win because there's just something about him. He's got an aura that screams, I'm ready now. So block B, we have uh, Kazuchika Okada, Yoshihashi, Taichi, Kenta, Great Okan, Will Ospreay, Tungaloa, the returning Tungaloa from injury, and El Fantasmo. So this one doesn't really have like a specific theme to it, and it's also probably the one that's the most predictable in terms of which two is going through because it's almost we, we might as well just say it's, it now. Yeah, it's, it's going to be Okada and Osprey in some yeah. in some configuration. It's those two are going through. Probably Okada wins it. Osprey comes second, but we'll see how it goes. Um, there are still some interesting stories here. I mean, Tungaloa has been injured for a very long time now, so this is an opportunity for him to come back. He was at the press conference. Well, again, I listened to the press conference, but I couldn't really, unfortunately, can't really understand the ones that speak in Japanese, so I kind of have to look at some English translations for to get me for that one. But Tungaloa was pretty much just very grateful to be back and be able to perform in front of fans again. And so he, he basically just said, I'm just happy to be here. I'm not 100%, so I'm not going to win, but... I'm just grateful to be back and working in front of people. I, I love when they, you know, spell it out like that. Um, I did see ELP. <laughs> I did see ELP, and ELP is very funny. <laughs> I think so, so. For the second straight year, El Fantasmo um, decided that he wasn't going to speak himself, but he was going to hand over a script to Chris Charlton, one of the uh, English commentators, fantastic commentator. I think he's highly underrated. And he's a huge part of why New Japan's commentary is as good as it is, because he obviously can speak Japanese. He can translate the Japanese people basically live at the time. Uh, but he handed the script over to him and basically it came down to a lot of crew in that he wants to uh, bounce Tangaloa's boobs. And yeah, there was a lot fr- of just like uh, Tangaloa's titties. There was a lot of that. And, and uh, how he draws cartoons and the Great Okan uh, jerks off to them. That's that's terrible, but you know, I I like that ELP is finding ways to stand out in a very crowded field. So I think again, I think there's there's, there is some fun to be had in this group. I think to see Okada against a lot of these people, to see him against again, it's a lot of people that we've seen him up against before. We pretty much we've seen him have a one-on-one match with pretty much all of these ones, but Phantasmo is one that's slightly different. I don't think we've seen that very often. Okan and Okada, it's something that's reasonably fresh, and you have um, like Tai Chi there as well, hasn't had many opportunities to go one-on-one with Okada. Osprey against all these people will be great as well, because Osprey just has great matches against everyone. I think that I think Okada's going to win, and I think that there's a very good chance he goes through pretty much undefeated. The one that he he might lose to is Osprey, just because he beat Osprey in the finals last year, so they might give Osprey his win back there. One thing that I am looking out for is that I I am firmly in the belief that the Great Okan will defeat Will Osprey. They're really? both members, yeah, so they're both members of United Empire, and I think that New Japan feel at least somewhat cautious about the fact that Osprey will pro- may leave to go to AEW. So if if that is the case, then they need someone to step in to be the new leader of the United Empire. So having Osprey lose to Okan means that Okan can immediately slot into that role. I like that idea as an idea, but I don't know if I think Osprey will 
likely stick around New Japan. You might see the AEW field that's too crowded right now. I think there's always that possibility, but I think just by having Okan win doesn't mean Osprey necessarily is going to go out in this tournament. And it also means that, you know, he has like you have that security in that case. So that is true. That's one result that I would put money on happening that maybe some of the people wouldn't. But as we said earlier off the top, it's quite obvious that it's going to be Okada and Osprey in some configuration. I'm going Okada wins the group and Osprey follows on in second place. I'm going to go. Let me just look at how the um, stuff shakes out. So yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go Okada wins the group because, again, I'm still thinking that Kiyomiya will fight Okada in this tournament. I'll say he wins the group. Osprey comes in second, but that doesn't mean Osprey can't necessarily win the whole thing you know they, there will be the second places versus first place might shake up some things as well so then we move on to the c block which is kind of the this is this is where the hard hitters come to play for this one so we've got david finley current never open my champion tomohiro ishii evil tamatonga shingo takagi aaron hanare Eddie Kingston, the new New Japan Strong champion, and Mikey Nichols of the Mighty Don't Kneel. So, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of names here, people that love to beat the shit out of their opponents and have right. those super strong style matches. Yeah, that is that's what you're getting when you come here. I would look for some fun between, you know, Kingston and Takagi. I'd look for some fun with, you know, Tamatanga, who might be my runner-up pick for this block. I look for him to have some good matches. Aaron Hanare, for a while, I thought was going to something. I've kind of, you know, not kept up with it as much. So I don't know if that's still the the vibe with him. But I'm looking at Finley to establish himself and establish this era Bullet Club by going over and winning the block. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to a lot of matches here. I'm obviously looking forward to Eddie Kingston against pretty much anybody. Um, my one worry about Kingston is whether, because this is a very demanding thing, and he's entering yeah quite a, I don't say like a late stage in his career, but he's you know early forties now. Um, I think that he might struggle with the stamina aspect of it, but I hope he proves everyone wrong in that respect. But yeah, there's a lot of interesting configurations here. Finley's the leader of the New Bullet Club and He'd want to be looking to establish himself more prominently here. Ishii's a perennial great match haver in these conditions. Uh, Tom Tonga's coming back from an injury, being taken off, uh, being put on the shelf by Finley. So there's animosity between those two when they'll go up against each other. Takagi has great matches with everyone. Hanare is has been doing well. I mean, he's still he's still yet to win a real singles title or anything a real no but he's had some great matches with Shingo over the King of Pro Wrestling title over the last few months so so I'm excited to see what he does and what he brings to the table here Mikey Nichols is a bit of an outlier as, as is the other member of the Mighty Don't Kneel that's going to be in Block D but still I think he'll he'll give it his all um but yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of hard hitting matches in this one so this is where you want to go if you want to see a lot of uh, a lot of clotheslines, a lot of slaps to the chest, a lot of forearms to the face. This is where you will come to. 
So in terms of one and two, I'm ruling out Ishii. I don't think this is, that's his role for this one. I'm ruling out Evil. I'm ruling out both Hanare and Nichols. But Hanare is someone that I think is somewhat of a dark horse, and I'm ruling out Kingston. So I think it's between it's it's two out of Finlay, Tonga and Takagi for me. Um, in my view, I think that Tamatonga is going to win the block and Finley is going to come second. I, I like that. I'm not sure if Tonga is going to win the block because I know there was so much talk for a while about him having interest in from WWE. Maybe he, you know, uses this as a way to prove, no, I want to stay here. I want to take this road with my career and primarily be a Japan guy, which might be smart, but either way, I think this might be the sleeper block in terms of you're going to get some really memorable matches here. The one and two for you? Oh, I, yeah, yeah. As I had said, uh, number two, Tom Tonga, and I think Finley establishes Bullet Club and gets out on top of blocks. Okay, so we've got the same people, just in a different order. And order is important in this one. It is. Uh, and then the final block, Block D, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsuya Naito, Hiroki Goto, Zack Sabre Jr., Toriyano, uh, Jeff Cobb, Shane Haste, and Alex Coughlin. So there's some interesting configurations. It's kind of like there's a mix of the old guard and some new up-and-comers coming in. Like I'm, I'm interested in seeing Coughlin, like him along with Gabriel Kidd and the new New Japan Strong Tag Team Champions, part of Bullet Club War Dogs, and... I think he's got a serious intensity about him that I really like from what I've seen of his matches so far. And he has the same kind of attitude of disdain towards the company right now for the way that he was treated. Uh, Shane Haste, if you hadn't seen the, uh, again, the uh, the press conference, uh, came out dressed as pretty much like an orange Willy Wonka. Yeah. Um... He's funny. He's coming in as the comedian guy. I think obviously you've got Toriano in this and hit and his comedy is kind of it's hit or miss for a lot of people. Uh, but I think uh, Shane Haste is in here to be kind of not so much comic relief, but be like a different kind of humor to this. Which I think is good. I think this is definitely the catch all block. I think you've got Tanahashi who's at the back end of his career, but can still have fun matches. Maybe same could be said for Naito. But you also have Alex Coughlin, who's Bullet Club War Dogs and really embracing this Crazy Eyes character. A lot of people really enjoy him. Jeff Cobb is a matter of if he was in, you know, if he was in a impact right now, I think he'd be the world champion. It's a matter of where you place him on the card as to how good he does. Yano does what he does. I'm going to say I think Zack Sabre Jr. will absolutely win this block. And I think probably Naito behind him. Um, I, I mean, I've got a similar thing. I think that, well, the first thing before I say who I think is going to win is that my bold prediction for this one is that Tanahashi does get not get more than two wins. Oh, you think it's, it's he's really on the back end of his career? I think this is the penultimate G1 for him. I think they will build next year's G1 about the fact that it's his final G1. I don't like that. <laughs> no, like no one that. likes it, but like, but people need to just see with their own eyes and the fact that you need to just see his recent matches and the fact is his, he can still 
put together a good match because he is one of the greatest to ever do it, especially on the New Japan side of things. He's like the legend of New Japan right now, but like just watch him. He's, he's, he can't move. Like mm. He can hardly walk. He's going to go through seven matches in this tournament at the very minimum, and he's going to give it his all, but like you need to start telling the story that he can't stand up to the rigors of these sort of competitions anymore. And like he's on his last legs and, you know, you build it up to maybe it's not next year's one, but maybe a year after eventually whenever it happens, whether it's next year, the year after, or like four, four or five years down the line, eventually he's going to have his last G1 and you need to build that entire G1 over the facts, not the entirety of it, but a big part of that G1 should be the story of this is Tanahashi's last time he's going to do it. So enjoy it while you can but i think you need to, but i think you need to start the journey by having him go to a g1 without any intention of leaving or retiring or like not doing in the g1 anymore because that's not, that's not retirement that's just saying he's not gonna be in the g1 anymore that's his yep. transition to what a, a satoshi kojima or hiroshi tenzan or yujin gata does right now which is sporadic appearances like suzuki's not in this g1 so he still works pretty prominently for new japan I guess it's sort of like for, you know, decades gone by, it's like Chono and people like that. Like, I I can't imagine Japanese wrestling without Tanahashi in it, but I, I know that that day has to come. It's crazy when you really think about it. Yeah. So I think you start the journey here by having him have a poor showing, which makes him think about things, about whether he can still stand up to this. And so... So yeah, maybe maybe it isn't immediately next year, but you need to start at least build putting the seed of doubt into that mind. Um, in terms of one and two, I agree with you that I think uh, you're going to have both uh, Tetsuya Naito and Zatsuya Junior go through. I am going to uh, lead off with Naito winning the the group though, and uh, and Saber Junior fin- f- uh, following on behind him. Yeah, I'm going with Saber Junior because I think he's such a star for them right now. He has no interest in like a WWE or anything like that. You can really change up the pace of your whole company if you strap a rocket to a guy like him. And I think this might be the tournament to do that. I think it was also um, he had another interesting uh, press conference where he basically spent two minutes testing the microphone. And then just uh, said in Japanese, I'll do my best and then sat back down. That is, that's very, that's on brand for him, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's very good. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to a lot of good matches here as well. Um, So let's break it down then in terms of what we would see going. Let's do, like, a full-blown preview, and then we can revisit this when it actually is, like, the quarterfinals. Like, that won't come until August, so we've got a while before that. But let's break it down. So... A1 would take on B2 in this one. So in oh A1 take on C2, sorry, in this one. So you have Sonada winning your group. Oh, you have actually have Kiyomiya winning your A group. Yeah. And you and your B block, you have uh, Okada coming second. So it'd be Okada versus. Kiyomiya. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okada versus Kiyomiya. So. Oh no, sorry. That's C1. Got them the wrong way around. Okay, start over again for this one. Then. So it's 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 confusing. It's a new format. I'm trying to get. Oh, wait, hold there. on. Hold so on. it would be it would be, be Kiyomiya versus the second place in C block 
which you have as Tamatonga. Oh yeah, I can see that happening. So, so who do you who do you see winning that? I would see Kimia winning that so that Kata B block first place faces B block second. So for me that would be Naito. Okada Naito, that's an easy match to put off and you know build around. And I can see that happening. Then I would so then it's C block one against B block two. So I have that as Finley against Sure I have it here. Osprey. That might be fun. A little different. I would say Osprey wins that. And then D block one. So Sabre Jr. against A block two. Sonata. I have a Sonata. That would be a fun match. And I might even say maybe Sabre Jr. gets by that and gets a title match on the road to Tokyo Dome. Okay. So. We go by that. So your semi-finals then would be presumably Kiyomiya versus Okada and yeah. Osprey yeah. versus Zack Sabre Jr. Yep. And I'm going to predict that you would have it be Okada versus Osprey in the final. I would have it be Okada versus Osprey, but at this point I'm definitely leaning towards somewhere before Tokyo. Suji should win that belt and probably face Okada. At the dome. So you're having Okada winning the G1 again? Yeah. Okay. So so that'd be interesting. So that's it'd be the same final as last year, and it would be three in a row for Okada. And I had that as we were laying it out, because it is a different format this year. I do think, you know, that's an easy way to go. And honestly, they could knock Okada, Tanahashi, all those guys out. Real quick, if they really want to establish new people. But I think that's a fun way to go. So I would have in my quarterfinals, so it'd be A1 against C2. So for me, that would be um, that would be Yotsuji versus uh, David Finlay. And I would have Suji get the victory there. I think you are going to establish Finlay a little bit, but he's already currently a champion. And I think that you can maybe build Suji as a potential opponent for him moving forward. So I'd have Suji go through to semifinals. Uh, B1 against D2, so that is Okada versus Zack Sabre Jr., and I'd have Okada win that one. Uh, then C1, uh, which is Tamatonga against B2, which is Will Ospreay. I'd have Will Ospreay win that one. Uh, D1 against A2, which would be Naito against Kiyomiya, and I'd have Naito win that one. So the semifinals, I would have... Okada defeat Yotsuji, just as another young upstart that Okada just wants to knock aside, because that is kind of his gimmick now. Is he hates the young guys coming through. Um, C1D1 uh, Osprey versus Naito. I'd have Naito win that one, and then in the final it would be Okada versus Naito, and I believe Naito is winning the G1 this year. Really? So who do you have him facing? Sonata. Yeah. Oh, you have it. That's right. You could. You want him to. Um. Kind of. Yeah, I don't. I don't LJ. say I want. I, I don't say I want. <laughs> I don't necessarily want to. But. Uh. But I think that that's the story. Is I think Sonata is taking that title now. I'm more confident than ever that not Sonata is taking that title into Wrestle Kingdom, and that's the right choices for him to face his former stablemate Naito and drop the title to Naito. 
What do you think of the glow up of Sonata? Sonata really seems to have found himself now, and it's worked out a lot better than I thought when he joined the stable called Just Five Guys. I'm still on the fence about here. I think he's still got time to try and find himself a little bit more. I think it's uh, it's still a bit of a weird fit, but I can see him growing in strength, especially if he has a, g- a good couple of defences in the build-up to that match with Nile at Wrestle Kingdom. I still feel like it might be... It, it feels harsh to say, but I feel like if you're having Sonata and Naito as the final, at least at this point, and we're still like six months away from... Wrestle Kingdom, that at this point, if you were to have that as your main event, you'd need to have two pretty stellar matches behind that one on the undercard to uh, to um, to make sure the Wrestle Kingdom gets good viewership. And that could potentially be like an Omega versus Osprey again, or it could be Okada and Danielson too, or something along those lines. But you would need those bigger matches to attract an audience, an audience outside of Japan, let's say. Just spitballing, but I remember this was a huge thing, you know, several years ago before he came back. I think Punk wants to get in uh, Tokyo now. He had talked a lot about being willing to go to New Japan when Osprey had initially won the title. Um, I think I don't think he would be against the idea, but I I don't think it would be. It wouldn't be the blowout, you know, for attendance that it would be. They said. Oh no, but it's, I I just don't think it would be. I don't think if he was in there, I don't think he would be like a really big, big, big match. I don't think it would be a big singles match. I think he'd probably do a six man with FTR. I could see that. You know, you're right. But that's yeah. I like the idea of a Okada Suji match because I think those two guys can tell that story of Okada, you know, hating the new guard. They're clearly setting up this weird uh, Three Musketeers thing, which, again, I don't know how I feel about publicly announcing these are the guys we're pushing for the future. Okay, weird. I, I, I personally just think it's a genius move because like, it's, I think it's done with complete design and it, it set up the idea that these three are the quote-unquote special ones moving forward. And everyone hates it, and they, and they hate it as well, and they hate each other. And it's just a case of you use that to fuel a load of storylines moving forward as they build up and progress. And yeah, certain things are going to fail. Maybe one of them doesn't reach the potential that they would hope for them. But I don't think that there is too much of a negative associated with it. Um, like you've got other stories you can tell about the fact that like Uemura has been almost completely forgotten about. That's what happens when you decide to make your excursion be a long stay in Impact Wrestling. <laughs> it happens. But, I, yeah, I'd say there's there's a lot of potential. I'd say that I don't think it's clear cut who's going to win it. But at the moment, as we stand here right now, in the, on the eve of the first day, I'm um, back, in, uh, back in Naito to win. You're back in Okada. So yeah. we'll see how it does and see if we feel any differently either next week or definitely when the the final eight are determined and laid out in the final tournament brackets. So there's them. Yeah, there's our breakdown of the G1. Super excited. Really looking forward to it. And, and I think, again, this is New Japan kind of refinding itself. 
Mm-hmm. So where do we go from here? So G1, so we've been previewing one show, so why don't we preview another? Let's talk a bit about Slammiversary, Impact Wrestling. Talk about the home of Yuyumura right now. Um, so Slammiversary taking place on Saturday. Um, yeah, this feels like a pretty big show for obviously i know it's, it's obviously slammiversary is kind of like the outside of bound for glory it's impact's big show every year yeah. Yeah. so i think that so it's taking place in uh ontario canada canada's getting a lot of uh a lot of wrestling these days it feels like with, like canada and chicago pretty much have the rest of the uh year for wrestling mm-hmm. pretty crazy so I'm going to lean on you a little bit to help preview some of this stuff because you are a more avid watcher. Of right, I do watch Impact, Impact every week, so I will um, take control here. Let's start with, you've got the Death Dolls, Courtney Rush and Jessica, teaming with Jody Threat in a six-person tag against Giselle Shaw, Savannah Evans, and Jay Vidal. Callum, are you familiar with any of those individuals? Yes, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm not going to say that I'm avidly watching Impacts week to week, but I'm keeping up to a certain degree with the product because I think the most part has been going pretty well for them. But um, outside outside of one of the tag team matches that we're going to talk about later on in this show, that I'm very much not looking forward to. But yeah, this one it feels very filler. I know they've like they've been kind of up and down with Giselle Shaw in terms of her challenging for the title, but never really coming close to winning the title. Uh, the Death Dolls, former tag champions, they've been relegated down to here because it's another team that's coming up for the tag titles now. Um, I, I, I can't say that I'm overly familiar with Jodie Frey outside of the the match that sparked what Athena is now. So thank, <laughs> thank her for that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, this this match kind of means next to nothing to me. It's a, I would say it's probably a strong win for the baby faces. So Courtney Rush and Jessica are the human forms of the more, you know, goth demon-esque Rosemary and Havoc. Fun team. They're they're doing a fun thing. Jody Thread fits in well with that. I imagine they're just going to be a threesome moving forward. Giselle Shaw and the Shantaraj, I believe is what they're calling her, Evans and Vidal. It's fun act, but this is mostly just a, a nice warm-up match that will probably be taking place on the kickoff for this fun show. Here's a match I'm excited about just because there's a lot of the history of Impact baked into this one. It's Frankie Kazarian versus Eddie Edwards, but this time they will both have their wives in their respective corners. Alicia Edwards with Eddie and Tracy Brooks returning to Impact for one night to be in the corner of Frankie Kazarian. It sounds like a good match. I think um, they're, they're okay. solid. You know, they're they're the pillars of the company. Edwards has really moved away from the American Wolves pure wrestling style that he had done. He's more of like a brawler now, and Kazarian's the solid hand he's always been. But I imagine... A lot of the focus here will be on making sure Tracy Brooks gets some shots in on Alicia. Yeah, I'd say so. You brought her in. You want to use her to the fullest. Um, 
I mean, again, I don't have much skin in this one, so I'd just say Kazarian wins, maybe. I would say Kazarian wins. Uh, he is the baby face in this picture. Feels like this is the right time for him to go over and, you know, keep the fans happy in a relatively low stakes affair here. So just to mention, um, so I'm just looking at the card now. So the the six-person tag match that we just talked about earlier, that is going to be on the pre-show. So that is on the kickoff show, nice. or whatever they, whatever they call it. And uh, the other match that's going to be taking place in the pre-show, which we probably should preview now then, just to sake of like a orderness to it, is um, the Impact Digital Media Championship match between uh, Joe Hendry defending against Kenny King. I like Joe Hendry. I believe in Joe Hendry. He's fun. I don't love that everything it just becomes okay. We're gonna make fun of opponent through the medium of song, and then that's your build to your match. But Kenny King has always been a phenomenal hand, and I imagine they'll have a really good one. I'm gonna go Hendry wins here, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Kenny King. You would not believe how much time I've wasted this week um, going back in the archive of Joe Hendry songs from ICW that he that like parody songs that he would do in the build up to his matches. I think that he is unbelievably hilarious and innovative in that approach to it. Um, much better than a, uh, a song based segment that we're going to be talking about that took place on Dynamite this week. But uh, Well, now you uh, got to say, which is your favorite Joe Hendry parody? Um, I like um the teenage dirtbag uh thing that he did in ICW, the cut like the parody of that in for a match that he had with uh, Tim Wiley with uh, Kenny D in his corner, and he mocks both of them saying that Kenny D was George Michael's son, and that Tim Wiley pissed his pants thinking about fighting Joe Hendry. I my favorite from his ICW days would be the Eiffel 65 cover of I'm Blue. But I'm Drew true because it's Drew Galloway, yeah. back in the day. You know, I think that that's very funny. And he is very talented, and he's found his footing and impact, and it really does work for him. But I, I also just think Kenny King is a guy who should get his flowers while he's still going. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him get the win here. Yeah, I, I, I might back Kenny King on this one just because I think Joe Hendry's held that title for quite a while now. So maybe it's time for a switch up, but I wouldn't be disappointed if Joe Hendry retained as well. So. Um, so, And as we go further down the line here, we've got the return of Ultimate X. Ultimate X is, of course, the high-wire X Division spectacle. This one, the winner will be getting an X Division championship opportunity at any time of their choosing. It's Kevin Knight of... New Japan strong fame. Alan Angels, uh, formerly of AEW, now solidly with Impact. Mike Bailey, who's everywhere. Jonathan Gresham, former face of Ring of Honor. And Kushida. And this is a banger lineup and a great lineup for Ultimate X, as you're going to get in 2023. It's honestly, there's a good choice for about three of these names. You know, Bailey, Gresham, and Kushida could easily make amazing X Division champions and X Division, you know, just challengers as well, just to add to that division. 
I'm going to go ahead and say I think Bailey's going to win it because he's just he's having a boom year where he's just doing so much in the world of wrestling. But my number two guess would be Kushida. Yeah, I'm a fan of all the guys in this match. I think that it should be a lot of fun. Some of them don't really strike me as ultimate X guys. Like, I don't really see Jonathan Gresham and Kushida as this type of match. But, but yeah, I'm assuming that they'll all slot in very well. Um, I'd also go with Mike Bailey. I think that, and that's mainly just due to the fact that I think that he is he's great and, and would like to see him win matches and get title opportunities because he is a lot of fun to watch. And it's in Canada as well, so maybe that's also part of it. Let's pair that with the actual Exhibition Championship match. It's Chris Sabin defending the title against the man who I want to clarify has only actually retired once, Leo Rush. You're going to hold on to that, right? I, I, I mean, that is that is what he says, and damn it, we will respect it. <laughs> um, Leo Rush is a hell of an athlete, and any other era, any other year, I would say, absolutely, Leo Rush should become the x champion. However, for as long as Alex Shelley holds this world championship, I think Chris Saban should hold the x championship. And I think Chris Saban will get by Leo Rush, the skin of his teeth, in a very fun match. I agree. I think that I'm a huge fan of Leo Rush. I think that he's doing excellent work right now. But Saban is also having a career renaissance, which is great to see. Yeah, I think that I think you want to still have something up in the air. I think if you had Leo Rush beat Chris Saban here, it would maybe telegraph a bit too much the main event. So I think you should have Chris Saban get the victory here. He could fight someone else down the line to drop it or could fight Leo Rush again, maybe. But yeah, I think for this one, you should have Chris Saban get the victory. I, I'll go on record as saying, as I think about it now, maybe this leads more towards Kushida winning Ultimate X because there's that time machine trio there. Maybe they, mm. you can have a little fun with that. But I think the main event, I'm telegraphing way in advance, but if I was booking, the main event of Bound for Glory is Chris Saban cashes in option C and the Motor City Machine Guns fight for the world title. That's what I would do, but we'll get to the World Championship match a little bit down the card. Let's talk about another title, the Impact Knockouts World Tag Team Championship. The coven of Kylan King and Taylor Wilde defend against the newly formed, they were enemies, now they've kind of bonded in violence, Asha Slamovich and Killer Kelly. I, the problem with these belts is the same problem that plagues all other women's tag team titles in wrestling, and that's nobody really wants to invest in women's tag teams. But Lemovich and Kelly have such a great chemistry that I think they need to win these titles. I don't know how much of the show you watch or how many clips you see, but you know there was a, just a great moment where Kelly saved Slamovich, and they kind of just chained themselves to one another with like dog collar after they had a dog collar match at the previous premium live event. And it just works. Like they work really well together as a unit. And I'm excited to see 
What did you do going forward? Yeah, I'm, I think that this could be a pretty decent match. I am a big fan of Killer Kelly in particular. I think Masha has some something about her as well. I've seen slightly less of her than Killer Kelly stuff, but yeah, I think that, that, that it, could, it makes sense the pairing after they've had those kind of wars with each other to come together and uh, form a unit based on their just shared love of violence. And yeah, the Coven, Taylor Wilde, Khan and King, they've been champions for a little while now. Um, the Anger Works is a good platform for Khan and King to build up a little bit after she was just been on, obviously been on the independent scene, but mainly confined to Dark. And because Dark doesn't exist anymore, this is another like way to progress up in her career before she hopefully takes a leap into a more prominent promotion. Not saying it needs to be right now, but like in the next couple of years or so, maybe whether that's WWE or it's a uh, AEW. And uh, I think right now Taylor I think she's perfect for impact right now. And I think maybe give give her give her a year or two. Oh, yeah. yeah, and being like under the mentorship of Taylor Wild or at least working with her is probably good for her career as well. Um I'm gonna go with new champion to this one. Yeah, I think I think it's a safe bet. Uh here's let's go to the men's tag team titles, because here's one that I think is an absolute toss up. It's ABC representing some form of Bullet Club, Chris Bay and Ace Austin, defending the titles in a fatal four-way against the teams of Sammy Callahan and Rich Schwann, Brian Myers and Moose, and Subculture, Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews, with Danny Luna in their corner. How do you feel, first of all, about Subculture finding their footing in Impact as opposed to just waiting around for NXT Europe, which is this will give you a chance to say, hey, Cal, do you think NXT hey, Europe is happening? It wasn't that, wasn't that saying that they kind of come in the summer of uh, 2023 and <laughs> there's just like there's nobody's talking about it and it's been completely. I'll, I'll take my I think I'll take my victory lap now that that thing has been completely dropped and it's never going to happen. <laughs> it's it's looking a little more grim in that respect. Um, I. I'm going to go with new champions here. I, for the life of me, want it to be subculture. I think they're a phenomenal team and a great act. And they touch on a sort of scene that isn't necessarily spotlighted or shined a light on in wrestling. But I'm going to go ahead and say it's TNA. So uh, Brian Myers and Bruce will win the tag team championship. I'm never super keen on, I'm sure it'll be a fun match, but I'm never super keen on the idea of title switching hands in this kind of stipulation unless there's like a big story leading into it. Um, from what I've seen, like it seems like the biggest feud going into this has been more about Myers and Moose against Swan and Callahan, or at least they've had matches with each other. So, like, I don't know, I, I'm, I would lean towards uh, the champions retaining here. I would be perfectly fine with it because I think they're actually one of the like bright spots of Impact Wrestling, and they've become a really great tag team. So I'd like to see them, you know, grow even more and potentially continue the team elsewhere. Because while they're great singles competitors, Austin and Bay are phenomenal as a team. So whatever happens, it's only for the betterment of the company but i'm gonna just go with my gut and go myers and moose because impact wrestling still does impact things speaking of impact wrestling doing impact things callum let's talk about 
a grudge tag team match with special enforcer NHL legend Darren McCarty. And this match was originally ECO and Scott Demore against Bully Ray and Steve Macklin. The idea being Ray has had issues with Demore. He put him through a flaming table. Uh, Macklin's had issues with Demore when he was champion. Macklin got injured wrestling Alex Shelley in Australia. So he's out, was since replaced with Cody Deaner. And there is a big question mark in regards to who will Scott Demore choose as his tag team partner. Now, they had a post-credits, a self-defined post-credits scene on the last episode of Impact on July 13, where Scott Demore is on the phone with his presumed partner and says, yeah, we've tried everything. It appears PCO isn't coming back to life this time. So I want to know, can you come back to life? And then he finishes talking. He grabs a Team Canada jacket, and that's the last thing you see going into Slammiversary. Now, a lot of this focus has been on Scott Demore, you know, being an unsung hero of Impact from day one, an unsung hero of the Canadian wrestling scene. It was cool to learn that he created the Canadian Destroyer and gave it to P. Williams. You know, I think that's fun. But I don't know. There, it's obvious that they're leading into a major tease for who could it be. And what do you think about all this? Because I know you're not thrilled with all the competitors that are announced for this match. I mean, this is... It's it's one of the things that kind of always prevents me from getting fully into Impact because they do do a lot of good stuff and they have a lot of great wrestlers on there. But then it's their their desire to continue to lean on to the nostalgia of guys like Bully Ray, who is just well past his prime. And, you know, I say he still gets a decent amount of heat and it's totally fine. But the fact that he's like booked in a prominent position and he's fought for the world title in the last year or so and all that stuff i just i just think it's uh it's a bit hokey and like the idea of like it's going to be bully ray and macklin who's your former world champion getting tied into this shit to fight pc yo and scott demore in a like it's it's this class of a tag team match like if it's not no dq then i have no idea what they're planning on doing with this one but uh uh what and this this guy darren mccarty is the like this NFL guy is going to be the special guest enforcer. Well, it's, it's an NHL guy. I'm assuming you're not a hockey. Not a lot of hockey going on where you are. No. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll admit it's a bit much for me. The Demortes is cool because it continues the Slammiversary trend of the show is built around the tease of who's coming in. Because for a while there, WWE had those masks releases and TNA would just be like oh well now we're gonna keep you guessing of who's coming into the promotion I would I would say that if, if you followed Impact long enough and you know the teases that they've said and the deliberate things that he said in the build up to that and other stuff along the lines then you'd have a pretty strong idea about who it probably is but right. I'll leave it at that I will leave it at that I say and I, I think it's a fun tease 
Fun teams for Canada, too, because they're in Canada. What better way to grab your Team Canada jacket? And I'll leave it at this. I certainly don't think the wrestling world is clamoring for the return of Johnny Fairplay or A1. But there's plenty of other Team Canada members that I think Impact Wrestling fans would love to see return. Um, and obviously, Demore and TBA will get the win. Yeah, absolutely. But now let's talk about the two biggest matches on this show. Uh, let's start with, all right. I think that the World Championship match should headline, but there is some questioning around that. So let's just talk about that one first. Alex Shelley defends against Nick Aldis for the Impact World title. I love both of these guys. I'm glad for where they are in their careers, but I'm just going to say it. This ain't it for me. Like, I don't feel the marquee with this match. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think Aldis almost waited too long from him his departure at NWI to really kind of capitalize on the kind of the heat and the animosity that was surrounding that decision and so it meant they waited too long probably in the hopes that someone in either WWE or AEW would pick up the phone when that became the obvious that's not going to happen impact was kind of became the only real destination he could go with any significant prominence and yeah so it felt it, it's all felt a bit flat his return yeah which is unfortunate because he had a great he was the best thing about the national wrestling alliance bar none he really put important on being world champion and i said this a while ago that when i listen to him cut a promo and when i listen to cody cut a promo i go oh these guys are what i like in wrestling they're that traditionalist you know, it really is about the sport of wrestling, so to speak. But I also think Alex Shelley is the biggest Cinderella story this company's had in quite some time. And I think he should keep the title here. I, I said it earlier when we talked about the X Division, but I'd like to see option C cashed in at some point. And we do Motor City Machine Guns in Chicago at Bound for Glory for the world title. I think that's a cool thing that's never been done. And I think in order to do it, Shelly has to beat Al this year. I I like that idea, and I would that's the thing that I would probably go with. I'm 100 convinced Nick Aldis is winning the title here. I I understand. I um, just think I just think that they they think that he's a bigger deal than he actually is. Yeah, it's unfortunate because how do I say this nicely? His placement in this particular company kind of verify like they are uh, there's there's a lot of similarities between nick aldis as a wrestler at this stage in his career and impact as a promotion at this stage in their tenure like i can see why he might be the top guy for uh impact but i i'm just holding out hope for motor city machine guns and they don't need again they don't need to turn on each other to fight i'd like to see a respectful you know, let's like really let's do this one for the history of TNA and the X Division and all that. That's what I want to see at Bound for Glory between them. But 
Let's talk about the match that could very well headline this card. It is the Impact Knockouts World Championship. Diana Perrazzo, the Virtuosa, defending against the former Naomi, Trinity Fatu. What do you think about Trinity and Impact so far, Callum? You want me to be completely honest? I know you. Uh, go right ahead. <laughs> I haven't watched any of it. All right. That's where I thought you were going. Uh, look, it's very clear to me. I said this since she left and arrived in Impact. Trinity did not need to go to Impact Wrestling. She did more than enough time taking bumps. She did more than enough time between the ropes. She watched an entire revolution unfold. She could have retired when Mercedes and she walked out on WWE. I think it's remarkable that she's choosing wrestling. I think it's a very cool thing about her and her character. I To kind of touch on what you had said earlier, when people kind of foreshadow things, Diana Perrazzo basically said on Busted Open Radio, hey, if Trinity being the champion gets more eyes on the product, I can't be mad at that. And therefore, I think Trinity will be winning this championship. And I hope that Diana can, you know, she and Diana get a lot of time and can produce a real class match because Bell to Bell could be the best one-on-one match she's ever had. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see how they work together. I know you're like a huge fan of you know Perazzo, and I know that she's like very great at the uh, like te- more technical side of things. Uh, Trinity, yeah, I'm interested to see what she does in this like more high stakes thing. I know she's been doing the um, her former submission move, uh, what that she used like for a short period of time in WWE. That she's using that more prominently now to finish off matches. So. It's quite good if you kind of try and build a lot of this around a submission. As long as she doesn't win with the rear view, I think I'm fine with whatever outcome it is. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty clear Trinity's going to win the title here. I'm going to just fantasy book because it's what I enjoy doing the most. And I'll say Trinity, Mickey James are bound for glory because why not? I think it should be a very fun card on Saturday night. It will be going head-to-head with Collision. So that's interesting. But, oh, Collision, I'm sorry. And Battle of the Belts. So Mm. pack Saturday Night of Wrestling. But I think these performers will do their best to make sure that even if you don't catch it live, you're going to be rushing to catch the replay. Okay, so that's a Slammiversary cover. Solid hour of, like, New Japan and Impact Wrestling talk. Yeah, haven't, haven't mentioned really AEW or WWE much at all in this one, so that's uh that's good to go. Uh, let's talk of well, let's let's avoid them for a little bit longer even. Let's let's see right. see see how much we test the metal of everyone who's only here to talk about uh, WWE or AEW stuff. Let's talk a little bit about GCW going even more niche at this point in time. I mean, who who thought we could go even more niche than Impact Wrestling on this? Uh, Jeff Hardy has been announced for one of uh, GCW's upcoming shows. Uh, so it's going to be at the My Name Is event in Detroit, Michigan, uh, which is going to take place on Friday, August the 4th. Um, 
I was interested in this about what the hell he was going to do until you then find out that they had to clarify later on in a tweet to basically say, yeah, Jeff, Jeff's appearing, but he's, he's not actually wrestling on the show. He's just going to be there. And it's like, uh, OK, well, you're yeah. my, my, my one potential thing of like potentially paying even a modicum of attention to GCW has now just evaporated in front of me because, oh, my God, I'd, I get to pay for a show to see, hear Jeff Hardy talk. Yeah, great. weird, weird uh, move to say, oh, he's going to be here. Because it's like, if he's, people are going to want to see Jeff be Jeff and listen, Jeff can't be Jeff. I, I think Jeff did a lot of damage <laughs> trying to be Jeff for as long as he did. But I, I'd almost say, hey, like, is it worth having him just show up? Just to be like, what's up, creature? You know, like, what, whatever he does. It won't. It'll pair in comparison to like maybe Jeff Hardy step in the ring with Nick Wayne. Well, he could. Well, we'll talk to that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Maybe Jeff Hardy will step in the ring with Nick Gage. You know, like it. You could have a lot of fun with Jeff Hardy and GCW in his prime, but I think we've all accepted that Jeff is not in his prime, and whatever keeps him safe and happy is the most important. And honestly. I'm just glad he's healthy and making appearances. All right, so we'll yeah, just a little announcement there that that thing. But uh, since we're talking, since we're talking GCW, apparently former WCW cruiserweight Lash Larue will be making his return to wrestling at GCW. Say you will in Chicago during All Out weekend. Wow, they're really doing a lot to drive the tickets home there. Why two Cajun, Callum? <laughs> you know, I think I saw a video of him taking a bump at like some indie show just for the, like, while, you know, no one was in the ring, he just took a bump for the sake of it. And Conrad Thompson tweeted, he's the same age as AJ Styles. So it's not like out of the question that he could have some fun, but obviously, you know, Unfortunately, the Lash LaRue being a major star, that ship has sailed. Yeah, I would say so. I think it sailed before he, well, while he was even in WCW. So, um, but yeah, there's some GCW talk just for the 10 people, well, not 10 people, the one person that's listening to this that likes GCW stuff. Um Again, let's try and avoid some stuff a little bit and talk about maybe an even more obscure promotion these days, Ring of Honor. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Ring of Honor uh, building up towards uh, their show, if you didn't know, because no one else seems to. They don't even seem to know they're building up to a, uh, a Death by Dishonor pay-per-view uh, coming up in uh, July 21st, I believe. Yeah, it's it's they're going head to head with SmackDown. It's yeah, not next week. Don't get me wrong; they are losing to SmackDown then for, by a huge number. But uh, so their big announcement for that show was the main event would be Claudio Castagnoli defending his Ring of Honor World Championship against Mark Briscoe. Well, turns out that can no longer be the case because Tony Khan announced on Twitter that Mark Briscoe is now suffering from an injury. And uh, Fightful then built upon this by their reporting saying that people close to Mark Briscoe saying that he's suffering a knee injury that will require a surgery to uh, fix. 
So first of all, that absolutely sucks for Mark Briscoe, who yeah. I think was doing a really good job both on AEW and Ring of Honor TV, and had gotten a lot of like support behind him. Obviously, in lieu of the passing of his uh of his brother Jay earlier this year, and I thought was well positioned to potentially win the Ring of Honor Championship against Cla- Claudio in the main event because Claudio was kind of, would be coming off of blood and guts. And so might have been carrying some injuries going into that. So you could have told a believable story that even though Mark couldn't beat Claudio at his best and Claudio's at like 50, 60 percent, Mark has the heart and the spirit to get that title and be the champion for Ring of Honor, which allows Claudio to just be a bit more present on AEW TV pretty much individually. But uh, yeah, and it would have allowed Briscoe to, you know, hard split Ring of Honor, you know, get some momentum there. I still think that's the way they should go. But now uh, Tony Khan has said the opponent for Claudio will be addressed after Blood and Guts. That is not made clear as to whether that means directly on Wednesday night they will announce will face Claudio after Blood and Guts or if it's on next week's Ring of Honor or how they're going to settle that. But that makes me, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that makes me believe something will happen in Blood and Guts you set up Claudio's opponent. Potentially, yeah. But I, I personally think that won't happen because I don't think that AEW is going to want to sully the Ring of Honor stuff to what's happening in the Blood and Guts match. I think they'll let the Blood and Guts match be that. And I do think it's just nothing, nothing's giving me confidence to suggest there won't be anything more than a cutaway announcement by Tony Khan, uh, Jerry Lynn and Stokely Hathaway saying that, uh, hey, because of Mark Briscoe's injury, it means that we have found a new challenger and we've decided to name so-and-so as the challenger for uh, Claudio's title at Death by Dishonor, which Claudio will just win and then we'll just wait until, you know, Kingston becomes available to take the title instead or something. Well, who do you have him go up against? Nick Wayne. My God, that would be amazing. Just, that, just, do, just do it. Just say after his impressive showing in his debut match, we've, we've decided to give him an opportunity to show what he can do against the Ring of Honor World Champion. Just go, just, just do that as a like a fun thing to just throw out there. Like, and at the end of the day, it's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things. This show is probably going to do horrible number and a horrible number of buys because. I mean, it's the biggest story about this beyond just Mark Briscoe's unfortunate injury is the fact that this cycle between the last Ring of Honor show where they did like their highest pay-per-view number that Ring of Honor ever had to this one has been atrociously handled to the point where like there's no real there's I'm trying to like count in my ideas like the number of feuds that are going on right now the biggest feud that's going on in Ring of Honor is between well it's a mixture of uh dark order against the righteous which has just been like you know it's been fine but it's nothing special and then it's athena against a referee because all she does in her matches is beat top <laughs> jobbers and then threaten the referees and yeah that's probably they're probably the biggest feuds going on right now because there's just no stories being told at all i'm saying like it could be a more heavily focused wrestling product but we go we're literally a week away from this show and we don't know who athena is fighting for the women's title we know that one of either um 
Dalton Castle or Shane Taylor will fight for the television championship uh, against Samoa Joe. And Samoa Joe hasn't even been on any of the shows in the past couple of weeks anyway, because he's been focused on the stuff he's doing on Collision. We have no idea who's fighting for the Pure Championship. We have no idea who's fighting for the Tag Team Championships. They're hinting that it's going to be the Kingdom, but there's no proof of that. We don't know who's fighting for the six-man tag titles, because that's the only title that seemingly is defended pretty much every week on TV anyway. Um, got no no real indication of who's going to be on the card, besides the fact that we know Claudio's going to defend the title, and probably Athena's going to defend the title. Probably all the titles are going to be defended, so you can assume those champions are going to be on it. But, yeah, they've done little to nothing to establish who's fighting who and why we should care about ordering this show i agree it's yeah it's just absolutely poorly put together i know ring of honor is like tony khan's kind of like it's like little pet project is the thing that he wanted to buy all that time ago and it's something that is really close and near and dear to his heart but it's become blindingly obvious that he can't do all the other wrestling responses abilities he has on top of the fact that he's also you know part of running Fulham Football Club and the Jacksonville Jaguars he can't also then just add booking ring of honor on top of that as well he needs someone to you know do that part of it for him and I know part of it maybe you're bringing in that Stokely Hathaway and Jerry Lynn unit as part of it but but yeah, yeah but that only takes care of it on camera yeah, that, yeah, that's only an on-camera thing. Like right now, there it seems to be no direction behind the scenes, and it's led to us being a week away from the show. And yeah, there's absolutely no buzz about this event whatsoever. I'm not saying like it wouldn't have the same buzz of any big AEW show. AEW is doing a lot of big stuff at the moment, and so that's obviously taking a lot of focus. But it just means that you're probably going to go in the show and you're on a hiding to nothing. You're up against SmackDown, which is doing like some of its biggest numbers in recent memory. Um, You've got no big matches established, as we've already mentioned. So, yeah, you're just you're just aiming up for a big number and and aiming up for a low number. And that low number should be the reality check that what they're doing right now isn't working. Yeah, I mean, look, I actually deep plug for myself. I am now part of a Ring of Honor Reacts show with Love Wrestling, the Canadian uh, wrestling news platform they've been kind enough to give kyle sparks and myself and soon enough kylie fuller a weekly show every thursday and the first show i did last night was very much just yeah ring of honor is a show where matches happen and there's zero direction even for the people we like essentially this show would be tony's worst nightmare it is literally (laughs) just guy versus guy equals match that happened and even people who like that are like give us something else this is just you've just done AEW dark but you've added championships and premium live events and honestly they're asking you to pay for death before dishonor and it's like on what grounds what matches Mm. are you doing and now how dare you charge for this how dare you charge us for this nothing you're putting together for us you know if you're gonna charge us like charge us but <laughs> announce some of the matches that you're gonna charge us for like you know you've got like you said it'll be either castle or taylor against joe all right does anyone believe unless cm punk is going to continue his feud with joe and legitimately cost him the title does anyone believe that castle 
where Taylor will beat Joe. Not saying they can't, but saying they could have been built better. Claudio, I think your best bet is to maybe Hangman Page pins Claudio to win Blood and Guts, and then that's your Ring of Honor title match. I think it makes sense in the sense that Hanger has been kind of out of the loop of the AEW world title picture for so long at this point, and now he needs to, you know, get back into something, and this could be a good move for him. The entire Dark Order is there being featured prominently, and they're kind of interacting on AEW TV as well. There's there's a lot there, but they're just too preoccupied with other things. And I understand that, you know, you had Collision come out from all this. You had a lot of moves between, you know, Mania Weekend and this show. But now I think from here to Final Battle, you need to focus on actually building a card that the next time we're talking about a Ring of Honor pay-per-view, we know what we're talking about. Yep, so that's kind of the, well, we'll, we might preview Ring of Honor next week if we could be bothered to do it. I mean, it's us too. Tony won't be around, so we'll probably just do it just for the sake of doing it. And we'll just, if they announce more than two matches, I'd I'd love to preview. Yeah, and we'll just bad, and we'll we'll just bad mouth this, uh, repeat probably this again, and on top of just saying what matches are happening and why we don't care who wins in each of them realistically. But now let's get on to some. Well, one bit of WWE news. There's only one bit of WWE news that I've found outside of when we'll talk about the actual weekly recap, which is uh, Drew McIntyre has been cast to appear in the Killers game, which is going to be a new movie starring uh, Dave Bautista and Ice Cube. Bautista will be playing an assassin who thinks he's dying and has hired other assassins to kill him. However... The false diagnosis, and he now has to kill the assassins to, you know, maintain his life. And I think that's just lovely. I hope McIntyre is one of those assassins. And I think that's a movie I'd like to sit down and watch. Yeah, I mean, I I almost certainly won't watch it because I just don't watch movies in general for the most part. But, uh, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's good that he's getting some uh, element of Hollywood work. Although, like, nobody seems to be working in Hollywood right now, anyway. I know there's a strike that that might be that movie might be put off for a while. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So I think he said that though he's taking off next week's episode of Raw to go film it. That might be out the question now. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, true. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, maybe it's not maybe it's not deemed as like a Hollywood movie because it doesn't sound like it's. I mean, it's got Dave Bautista and Ice Cube, and a Dave. Batista's getting a uh, it's, it's it's highly prominent and stuff, but he also does some like indie stuff as well. So maybe maybe it's outside of that remit. Who knows? But uh, but yeah, it's just a movie that's it's good that he's getting that work, and I will not be watching it. So let's move let's move on to the bigger news stories, uh, which will be mainly concerned with AEW side of things. Um, we'll talk about when we go through the uh, show by show breakdown. Actually. Before I do that, because of Drew McIntyre being in the movie, it's a good opportunity to plug our sister site over at Fanboys Anonymous. So I might just throw that plug out there. So uh, check them out over at fanboysanonymous.com. They also have their own Patreon, their YouTube channel, where they like, do like uh, commentary stuff 
for like their own personal commentaries like you and tony have done a lot of commentary tracks for uh different movies different like comic book movies animated stuff as well basically anything that's relevant and good or even bad in many cases that you yeah, just there, like sit down sometimes where we just do bad things yeah uh, but, yeah so check all that stuff and tony's obviously been putting a lot of time and effort into the blueprint project for a whole range of stuff from like batman as the main one all the way through to like the power rangers and stuff stuff of that ilk so check out the stuff that he's putting in because he's put a lot of time and effort into putting those together they're all very good quality so check out all the stuff that he's doing for the blueprint project i'm sure he'll appreciate it yeah and i would say honestly the blueprint project specifically the batman blueprint there's five videos on youtube and they are some of the most in-depth thought that's ever gone into the idea of how to craft the perfect batman collection of stories and Tony really lets his, you know, creative brain fly with this one. There's lots of great editing. It's unlike anything he's done on this channel or even over on Fanboy. So go check that out and go support him. I know it means the world to him. Yeah, and while we're still here, we'll just hit a couple of our plugs. So you can check out the merch stores over on Redbubble or Public. Check out that stuff where you can find stuff for both Fanboys Anonymous and Smart Count Moments. So if you want to pick up some yeah, some branded merchandise, some of the silly catchphrases and stuff we've said on T-shirts over the years or stuff on that ilk, you can check them out there. And just to, as a reiteration on the Patreon side of things, that's the most direct way you can support us and give us some money to help uh, keep the lights on, keep the motivation high, continue to pump out this content and perhaps even more content depending on how much we're able to receive you can through the ten dollar tier on there you can get access to dark cast which are extra monthly episodes that we put out there just for people who subscribe to that tier you won't hear them anywhere else and then there is also the pick your poison tier the high level the 50 dollar thing where you basically you get to control us basically say you want to watch you want us to review this show you want us to write up this article you want us to check out these matches or you want us to do a top Mount Rushmore or a top rope list on any subject you want to do, obviously within a certain amount of reason, but for the most part, we're pretty flexible on that front. Just uh, let us know. Well, hit the, hit us, here's the $50. Let us know what you want and we'll get right to it. That's Again, it within, within reason. And honestly, there's been so many cool things that have happened just because of the pick your poison tier. You know, we've done fantasy League. we've done fantasy booking scenarios off of that or Mount Rushmore. So anything you want, you know, that's kind of what we're here for. We're here to be the alternative wrestling media platform. We don't do news in the traditional sense on SmartCat Moment. We're here to just serve you guys with fun gimmicks that will keep you entertained and hopefully you're enjoying it along the way. So, of course, then thank you for everyone who has been supporting us now, even if it's just whether it's like just a buck on the Patreon or whether it's just you liking the video and sharing it around with your friends. It all goes a very long way. And now we can get into this AEW stuff. So we're going to be talking about some arrivals and some returns over on the when we do the actual breakdown of the shows themselves. But let's talk about a departure from AEW as Brian Pillman Jr. has uh, reportedly left AEW, his contract has expired, and he's no longer part of the company in any fashion. Um, bit of a uh, 
the one that I don't know how to feel about it really much. I don't I I know that at least from my perspective, I don't feel this is a significant loss. I don't feel like it's gonna make any sizable difference because he really hasn't been featured pretty much at least since the start of the year. And he had a bit of momentum early on in the like the 2020s and 2021 with the uh, Varsity Blondes team with Griff Garrison and Julia Hart that went well for a bit and got a bit over, got quite well over. And then he had a short run thing with MJF. But once Julia Hart departed and transitioned over into her House of Black character, uh, like. Vastly Blonde just became a jobber team and then injuries kind of hit Griff Garrison and Brian Pringle Jr. was left out in the cold. And yeah, so it's really no surprise that their relationship is coming to come to an end here. You know, Pillman's one of those guys who I think kind of got screwed over when the company started growing at the rate that it did. Because he came from MLW, actually got out of an MLW deal for it. And I think maybe hindsight 2020, he might have had more success just sticking there. But I hope that whatever he does next, he gets to grow and kind of grow the Pillman legacy. I hope nobody makes some change his name. And I bring that up specifically because, you know, not a day or two since that report, Dave Meltzer reported and Sean Ross Sapp has since confirmed that Pillman just yesterday on July 13th was training at the WWE Performance Center. Pillman in WWE, I think, is an interesting legacy because the biggest thing Pillman did in WWE was have a gun pointed at Stone Cold Steve Austin and he didn't unfortunately due to his passing he didn't really get to stick around for a lot of the Attitude Era stuff so it would be interesting to see how Pillman Jr. tries to take that legacy into the future if WWE is where he chooses to go I'd love to see it because I think time is of the essence when you have a young talent like this but I don't know. What do you think about the potential of Pillman Jr. joining WWE? I think that, and I'm not, I'm not gonna hold my breath. Just put it out that way. I think that he's a guy who, just based on what I've seen so far, is someone who has some raw potential. But I think that that potential among people is elevated because of what his name is. And I think that if he was just, I don't know, Brian Smith rather than Brian Pillman Jr., they would just say, oh, he's, he's OK. He's I, I get that. That makes sense. I just don't think he's he's demonstrated that he's got a third gear to him just yet. And I I fear that it's going to like the performance center. I mean, who knows? Like it works well for some people. It completely does the opposite for certain other people maybe he can fit into that equation first of all they'd get probably give him a name that isn't brian pillman jr which is the big potential issue 
that's the thing that I think would that could either make or break him because then he's got to do go without having his father's name attached to him so if it works then it shows that he has to kind of step out from his father's legacy and create a path of his own or it could mean that you expose him as a guy who you know is, is okay but in the grand scheme of things does has a ceiling that is maybe eclipsed when you do give him the brian pillman junior name so as, as i say i'm the, the jury is very much out for me and I'm not going to jump one side or the other and say that he's him going to uh, the forward centre is going to be a success or it's going to be an outright failure. I just don't think that I guns my head. I think that I'd just say that it's just going to keep him in the middle of the road where he is right now. And if he actually wants to progress, he needs to go smaller to then eventually get bigger. You know, I. I... I hear you. I think if he wanted to jump straight, nobody would blame him, of course, because obviously WWE is still the pinnacle. But if he wanted to go straight there, I think one of the things that might actually help him being second generation is the weird legacy thing. So we've only really seen, like, and mostly in female performers, like Charlotte has a completely different legacy from Rick because there was no duplicating it. You're going to have the same thing with Ava and The Rock. I think there's enough there where if you give him a different name that I think you should still keep the Pillman, don't make it Brian Jr., that he can change what that name means in mainstream wrestling. Because while we love Pillman, you know, there is there's an argument to be made that Pillman passed in 97 and was kind of an, you know, a fringe hit then. There's a lot of people who might not understand how, what that means. And maybe he can just get a fresh start on his own. But we'll see. I don't, we don't know if he's obviously going to go there. It's just that he was training, as was... um. Uh, a stardom performer. Yeah, I, mean, I actually I actually tried to uh, I actually saw her name pronunciation just so I could get it right or as right as I can get it. Thank you. So it's Atami Hayashishita. Hayashishita. Yeah, Utami Hayashishita. And uh, yeah, so she was training with uh, Natalia and Io Sky at the uh, performance center as well. So there is an indication that uh, she might be departing stardom because, again, I'm more of like a casual on and off viewer of stardom. But um, she she recently left her faction, not so much like permanently left it, but said that she was taking the time away for them to like find leadership without her at the top of the faction. And so that could either indicate that she is going full time away from the company and she's leaving stardom entirely which is entirely possible WWE assigned many people from stardom in the past several years the only thing that again gives me a bit of pause for is the WWE at least as far as I'm aware and maybe the situation has changed but has been in a hiring freeze ever since the uh the merger yeah I do believe that that that's moved away because they have started doing performance center classes again okay 
So, yeah, there's a very real possibility then that she may make the move over or it may just be a temporary thing that she's just come over for a little while because she's worked at GCW recently. So maybe she's just over for a short stint over in America or it could be a permanent thing. Who knows? But, uh, but yeah, these could be two new potential acquisitions that you may be talking about in a couple of weeks' time. Who knows? I don't know how I feel about it because they have such a great track record of joshi women in like the past seven eight years overall but then there's they did do saray dirty and yeah. i i worry that the next person would be another saray i guess we'll we'll just have to see how it all shakes out well again i just thought it's one of those things that she's gonna end up if she does sign with uh wwe she'll end up having to go to the performance center in nxt for a while and i just think like she's great like from the matches i've seen her she already has everything you need like but you're gonna waste her in nxt for a year and a half probably before you bring her up and so you know so i wouldn't be super keen on that but i'm sure the money is better so it'd be good for yeah, her yeah that's what that's what it'll come down to at the end of the day uh talking to money uh money is good for AEW right now it feels like because uh they've got a new tv show uh wembley is closing in on the sellout apparently it's closing in on like a nine million dollar gate right now which is huge that's insane and uh warner Bros. discovery seems that they're more more convinced than ever trying to give uh, as much money as possible to AEW because apparently they're negotiating the new tv deal apparently that's going to be at least by all reports suggestions that it's going to be a massive pay increase for AEW at the very least but then there's also rumors that if warner Bros. discovery has their way they would like to see uh, AEW's pay-per-view schedule expand to one pay-per-view per month. I think this is a mistake, and not just for the reasons you would think. Oh, I, I, I agree. The... I, I agree with you, but like you can carry on with your thoughts on it. Yeah, like okay, look, we we talk. I was gonna say we joke. It's not a joke. We do talk a lot on this podcast about the exhaustion of the fact that Tony and I do cover these shows. However, you need, we're not in the era. I feel like if you're going to do that, there's a way to do that. That's fine. If the announcement is also, and guess what? There are, Max has a live component now and you get a pay-per-view a month for the fee of whatever you pay for HBO Max and potentially it's just bundled into your cable package or in your case, Callum, your AEW plus. Like, I think if you do it like that, it's acceptable. To ask people to pay $50 every month is is a huge ask in 2023. Mm-hmm. And the market just isn't what it was in 97, 98. You know, it's not like, hey, we're all going to get together and watch pay-per-view and it wasn't even really like that that's why they had the creation of in your house because it was like for the diehard fan you could pay 15 dollars a month but you know we'll get we'll get the casuals paying 45 for SummerSlam. i don't think that aew can risk this because also smaller thing but also important this hurts the image of like our shows are special we're not doing what they do where they just want you to pay every month for recycled stories. Our shows are special. I think it hurts 
AEW in, in the long run. Although there's an argument to be made that the perception that AEW is still the scrappy underdog, you know, maybe that's gone away as, as well. But maybe this is just a natural progression. So there are a few thoughts about this. Obviously, I know that I don't think that AEW would struggle to handle an additional pay-per-view per year. And there is the argument that it would help deal with the fact that they're sometimes a bit meandering between shows because they're so spaced out. But sometimes there's just like a little bit in the middle of pay-per-view cycles where they just are just doing stuff and then they kick it into high gear about three, four weeks out for the big show coming in. So maybe you could argue that having a more monthly schedule or a at least a, a schedule where there are more big shows over the course of the year would help alleviate that issue. But then I think that there are other factors you have to take in mind. The fact that you say the shows feel less special if they're more oversaturated it means you're more likely to be going head to head or at least in the same weekend as WWE stuff, which is like somewhat problematic, especially if you are being asked to pay more for it um then if you were to be just don't know stuff we just either have the network or you have peacock and then you're just um you're just paying for that service subscription so you would have to probably switch to a subscription model which may not necessarily be what AEW wants to do right now um there's also the issue about the fact of i mean i mean fundamentally it's a case of where what where is the boundary it's probably the biggest thing that i'd probably ask is where is the boundary between what aew wants to do and what warner brothers discovery wants them to do so like, right. i don't know i don't know maybe tony khan really is desperate of like doing these 12 shows and he's, just, he's just been waiting for the green light to do it and so he's all guns blazing on it but surely like they've had the dynamite and then you add rampage to it and so they give you more money get rampage give you more money you get battle of the belts give more money you get collision and then it's just a case of okay so now you've got five hours of tv going out every single week and then an occasional extra hour for a battle of the belt show uh then you've already got the five or six shows big big pay-per-views you do every single year and then you're trying to expand that point so it's like when do you and and something that i think doesn't get brought up enough is the fact that AEW for a lot of wrestlers was a beneficial place to go because you would be working less dates Mm -hmm. than if you were over in wwe it still would be the case because obviously wwe has a far more um heavy live touring schedule but now they're also doing these special like uh house shows they're uh what do you call it the um the house rule like they're just becoming a proper company which in some ways is great for pro wrestling and it's great for, like, just to throw out a name, you know, the Isaiah Cassidy, right? Like, he can get reps in, and that's cool. But but it, but it, elimina- it eliminates, by putting more shows together, it eliminates one of the advantages or the USPs that your company has over the competition. And the issue is being that even though that you have this like you have other benefits and there are other advantages to AEW over WWE and vice versa. It's a case of in the grand scheme of things, WWE is always going to be able to outbid AEW for a wrestler if they so want to do it. They can put more money behind a particular wrestler if they're desperate to get hold of them. So the less emphasis you put on other USPs, 
the more you're going to have to put your hand in your pocket to sign up people. So it's just like a cycle that could potentially come back to bite the company in the long term. So, so I think that, again, I'm not saying that it's an absolutely no go situation or I wouldn't agree to doing it, but I'd say maybe you you space it out a bit more. So right now they've got five big shows they do a year. They've got um, got Revolution, Double or Nothing, Forbidden Door. I mean, technically they've got six this year because they've got All In, All Out and then Full Gear. So those are the six big shows they're doing this year. Then maybe the next year you bump it up to eight. See how that works. Then the year after, if it's done successful, maybe bump it up to 10. And then, and then maybe go into the monthly model and then see how that works. And then maybe by that point, you've established that you're going to be doing it for, through uh, Max. And like some shows are going to be through Max, some of them may be through traditional pay-per-view, and then you just go through there. So there's there's many different ways that they could do this, and it ends up working out, and nobody gets like nobody suffers as a result of it. But but yeah, I think going just from zero to sixty, or going from six to twelve in one fell swoop might be a bit heavy for people to take yeah and i think this bleeds into a a great another great report from fightful select about uh, new health protocols and changes in regards to what will be allowed now let's take it from there yeah so let's talk about this so again it's another kind of staging thing of like being a quote-unquote legitimate and big company now that they will fall under certain regulations so list reported by Fightful and confirmed by PW Insider reported that there is now a more health and safety based protocol list of things that wrestlers cannot do in AEW from this point going forward uh the list uh which it's as it stands right now of things that cannot be allowed under any circumstances are, are as follows so we have unprotected chair shots to the head which I oh, think Cody is. did. Cody did not win chair shots for the boys. <laughs> yeah, he did not do that. Uh, shots to the back of the head, which again is understandable. Uh, buckle bombs or blind moves uh, backwards into the turnbuckle, which That's is quite odd because it's one of the things that actually WWE can do because Seth Rollins does still use the buckle bomb. So, right, uh, and it's not like that's a move that I know people like to do there. Hmm. Because a uh, offensive response or seizure cells, so that would probably piss off Brian Danielson. Can't yeah, yeah, I wonder, like, yeah, who else could that be for? Seizure <laughs> cells. Somebody tried to Danielson. We love Danielson, but like that was a scary moment. So I'm okay with that being banned. So no spitting, uh, no blood in the crowd, or you know, bleeding. Like, no, be, like being bleeding and then going into the crowd or throwing bloody gear or any other objects into the crowd. No weapons or projectiles in the crowd. No taking drinks or food from guests in the crowd, which is interesting because there's been like a couple of moments of AEW's clips going around of like uh, uh, Nick Jackson taking a drink from a member of the crowd or whatever. And then a uh, physical contact with the crowd, which is even like, like a wrestler holding an opponent and allowing a fan to chop them or something of that ilk. So those are the things on the absolute band list. And then they have a list of things that must be approved by the company's medical, well, both the company's medical team and the producer slash coach of the match involved in order to make sure that these are used as safely as they possibly can. So these include uh, spots and bumps on the ring apron and outside, uh, table ladder chair spots in and outside of the ring, 
and only allowed with padding. Uh, any elevated spots outside of the barricades, so dives and ladder spots on stage, like around the arena and all that stuff. Uh, all pole driver and tombstone variations, including sit-down drivers, inverted poison, hurricane runners, and breakers. Uh, high-risk dives or top rope moves, 450, 630, double moonsault, suit-style presses, etc. Uh, intentional bleeding of any sort, not just blading. Uh, throwing people into, through, over ring steps, commentary table, bell table, guardrails, barricades. Uh, uses of weapons, including chairs, pipes, kendo sticks, hammers, ring bells, bloody blood blur, thumbtacks, barbed wire, those kind of things. Uh, powders and aerospell sprays or liquids, which really would suck for the uh, the outcasts, because uh, <laughs> that's kind of part, most of their gimmick. Uh, throwing any weapons, uh, choking or strangling with hands or weapon or a hanging spot, um, injury spots or angles, any physicality in the crowd or crowd brawling, and any physicality involving referees, managers, extras, celebrities, or special guests. So that's a lot to take in, but I'm going to give my two cents on it before I leave to you. I think that. This is done both as mostly as a safety measure, but I also believe that it is being done as a means of keeping certain spots and actions across the entirety of the show special. So I think that there is there's too much in AEW and it's in other promotions as well of certain people doing the same moves in different uh, matches. Like you do things like oh, everyone does like a bump on the apron at some kind in their matches or everyone does some variation of a pole driver or a Canadian destroyer in every match or a big dive to the outside. So I think by having this kind of process in place both helps them from a safety and security standpoint, and make sure they are able to help meet the regulations now they're growing in stature as a company. And then it also means that they can also say, well, I wanted to do this spot and we would usually allow it, but we also said that this people have already said that they want to do that spot. So we're not going to do it on this one, but maybe next week when we do another match or something, you could have that spot instead. So I think it's like some people may say it's a little bit overkill, but I think in the grand scheme of things, it might work to both the benefit of obviously people's safety, which is the most important thing, but also the um, making match a little bit fresher in between because they're not repeating the same spots so i think i've seen a lot of people bring that particular point up in terms of like well these things aren't banned they have to clear it i just can't help but feel like it's a logical step in growth but it's also are you just killing the free spirit vibe you know and i know that sounds like super you know childish but that was a huge draw of what the company was going to be so i do worry about like does it become like you know oh you can't choke people or oh you know this know that does it become okay it's it's WWE with a little more freedom from a performer perspective and again we'll never really know because we're not back there but it's Something I've thought about quite a, quite a bit. Yeah, so we'll have to see how this works in practice, really, and like more of a long-term thing if it does start causing issues. Also worth yeah. noting, right before an event called Blood and Guts, mm-hmm. which I just think is hysterical. 
it is quite funny that that's going to be the case. And I also think that certain, maybe some of these, again, you don't want it to see, be the case, but I also imagine that certain, how loosely these things apply to certain people might be, might change depending on your stature within the company. Right. Like, are you really going to tell Moxley that he has to, uh, he has to agree to, has to sign off on blading before a match? Right, because, like, honestly, I never thought we would get Ambrose back in WWE, but I think that might be a way to do it if if it came down to, well, if you're both going to control me, then I'm just going to go where the money is, you know? Yeah. Like, I, it's it's interesting. I think it's good as an overall idea, but it is, it hurts the aura, you know? So leave that there because we're close to two hours in and we haven't even gone to any of the recaps yet. So there's <laughs> there's still a bit to talk about. So but we'll try and breeze through these a lot. And there's certain things that we want to talk about, but we'll save it mainly for the big stuff. So let's start with all the way back on Saturday last week with Collision. Um, so a few big things on that one. So we had the both semifinals of the men's Owen Hart tournament, which uh, saw both. Ricky Starks defeat Powerhouse Hobbs, and then in the main event, CM Punk defeated Samoa Joe for the first ever time in their history. Like They built that up quite a bit, and then CM Punk managed to get the victory with a, a roll-up. Uh, Joe then took him out after the match, but what did you think of the two semi-final matches? I, the semi-final matches, they were fun. You know, I didn't get... Like, I, I don't know why they're splitting hops. I know why they're splitting hops from QTV. It doesn't, it never added up to begin with, but I think it's kind of rushed. And I think Punk and Joe had a great match that I, I'm going to say something here, and maybe you'll agree or disagree. I could have seen that on a Monday Night Raw at any point in the last 15 years, and I think it would have fit in. Like, they had a great TV-style match. But it was very clear to me that, oh, yeah, these two guys know how to work EV more than any others. Yeah, I thought this was I thought it was a very solid main event. And I think that it leaves a lot of room for a rematch on a bigger stage further down the line. So, so yeah, there's, there's something to be said about that one. So we know that the finals, which will be taking place this week are on this Saturday's collision, will be. Ricky Starks versus CM Punk. Who do you have winning that match? I, I would love to see Starks win it, but I feel like if Starks was going to win it, it would have to lead to Punk kind of turning full heel. And I think him being laid out by Joe kind of says they don't want that, so I'm going to say Punk wins. Yeah, I think that Punk's going to win. I think that they won't have him suffer a defeat until he has that match with MJF that they're like subvertly building towards i hope they they are going in that route because i see a lot of talk about maybe punk will just have the collision world title and that's not a route i'd like to go down so outside of that we found out on a collision that uh willow nightingale was uh injured so she wouldn't be able to fight athena so they're fighting on uh tonight's episode of rampage uh, which we know the spoilers of, and we might talk about it later on. I'll make sure to warn everyone when spoilers will be spoken about that. Uh, but the other big thing that happened on last week's collision was FTR versus Juice Robinson and JY in a title eliminator match where uh, you had Bullet Club Gold get the victory over FTR. 
in a great match. There yeah, was thought, a... yeah, this, yeah, this is one of the best. This, I think that so far this is the best match that Collision has had in their three weeks so far. Yeah, those, those poor bastards, uh, Punk and Joe, didn't get the memo that these guys were just going to steal it from them because that they were starting to cut a pace that was just impossible to catch up with. I think Blood Club Gold is a great tag team, and I almost want to see them win it, except for the fact that I think Jay White is just better as a single. Also, just because it was mentioned in the report, uh, I guess they didn't have the no-spitting clause at the time, because mm. that was abundantly clear. Uh, Jay White spitting at Dax Harwood. A great match, a lot of fun, and I hope they, they kill it in two out of three balls. Yep, so they're going to be fighting in two out of three falls on Saturday's collision as well. Um, my head says the FTR retains. I would like to see Bullet Club Gold get the victory. Yeah, I would like to as well because I think they're tremendous. Yeah. Uh, we also saw, just in collision as well, we also saw the return of Scorpio Sky to the ring after his long-term injury. Good, solid, kind of nothing, but like solid. So that's collision. We don't really need to go too much more in depth than that. Let's talk a bit about what happened on Dynamite. I'm just doing the AEW stuff, and then we'll trap back to WWE side of things. So over on AEW, so we open with Commander versus Chris Jericho in a, you know, it's a decent match. A fun match for Jericho. Jericho seems to be going through a weird, I want to relive my roots phase. Yeah, I think this was one where he could, uh, he took advantage of his size a lot more, and I think that's the style that he should work like more of a like you know let the other guy do most of the high flying work and stuff like that, and be just more of physical presence in there. So he forced um Commander to tap out to the Lion Tamer. Then Don Callis came out afterwards, said that he wants him to join the uh, Don Callis family again, and he used his old um promo that this old promo that they had when they were both members of a faction led by. Um, uh, bad news brown yeah bad news brown and then uh so yeah still no determined answer one way or the other there but they used that as an idea to tease that jericho might be the the other guy in blood and guts which we'll again talk about as the main event angle and uh, we had the semi-final the blind eliminated tag tournament with orange Cassidy and darby allen against sammy Guevara and daniel garcia um yeah again another really good match as you'd expect between these four guys and you had Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia, so the two members of the Jericho Appreciation Society, get the victory. So they advanced to the finals. Yeah, pretty good stuff. Solid um, uh, stuff for the tag match, you know, like I thought it was a lot of fun. I am genuinely confused as to what they're doing with the Jericho Appreciation Society. So I guess they're doing their jobs, but I was surprised to see them be the ones to go over. I wasn't. I thought they were going to be in the finals pretty convincingly, but uh, but yeah, it's a um, it's a good victory. You had Swerve Strickland come in and help cost Darby Allen the the win here because of what he was doing later on. Um, there was also a segment later on in the show where Jake Hager handed over his hat to Jericho. So that's how you know that this is all going really badly for uh, for the Jericho Appreciation Society. Really, again, really strange stuff. I. I wish that they would have someone else join the Don Callis family, aside from Takeshita, before making it like, I'm. this is a big family I'm building. I have no clue where they're going. My gut says Jericho is a babyface, though. He so, will be eventually, I think. Yeah. yeah. My gut says JS is going nowhere, and they're about to start another 
Jericho babyface faction run like they did with the Inner Circle. Um, there was a video package that went out to promote uh, uh, promote uh, Nick Wayne and telling his story about the uh, passing of his father when he was still a kid and then him just continuing to build up from his wrestling school and, you know, now be where he is now, 18 years here on AEW. I thought this was really effective in establishing him as a as a, a character you can really get behind. Yeah, and I think he would later back it up. Um, there was, we'll talk about this entire thing. So Adam Cole and MJF versus Big Bill and Brian Cage. Prior to that, we had a long package similar to the previous week of MJF and Adam Cole bonding first in the bar and then uh, over a video game. So there's a lot of just fun things here, just a few choice moments. So MJF found four hot women in the bar. And basically said to Adam Cole, hey, that's two for me and two for you. And Adam Cole basically said, I'm with Britt Baker and I really like to be a Britt Baker. And MJF posited the idea that he'll turn the cameras off so Cole can do whatever he wants. And Cole said, yeah, no, that's not happening. And so MJF basically said, OK, four for me instead. And so he leaves with all four women. He comes back a couple of minutes later with his fly, zip back up, like zipping his fly back up. And so then Cole says, OK, I'm, I'll wear our shirt this um I'm better than you, baby shirts that you put together for us if we do what I want to do. And so he takes him back to, like, presumably his hotel room to play video games, play AEW Fight Forever. I thought that was hysterical. And they team up together in the thing to uh, defeat FTR using the Shatter Machine on them. And you had a, which I find, like, I've only played, like, a bit of pieces of uh, Fight Forever since I bought it, like, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I I could never like fighting the computer. I would never be able to hit the shatter machine because it's too complicated for me to do. Like, yeah, I I don't even know how uh the double teams work. I'll be honest, I played Fight Forever. It's a fun game. I think they missed a little bit of the mark of what they were going for, but fun game, and it was cool to see you get used here like that. Yeah. So basically, they use those vignettes to build up a bit more of the bonding between them. They then, like, you had a backstage segment with Cole being interviewed by Renee, and Roderick Strong comes up and says, do you really trust this guy, or what are you doing with this guy? And Cole got a text from MJF saying that he saw Brian Cage in the corridor, and now he's got the flu and he won't be fighting. And Cole went to just go grab him and make sure he was fighting. And then they have this this great tag team match, which is so simple in its in the way that it was laid out but just perfectly executed we have mjf as the baby face in peril getting beaten up by these guys until he manages to stop big bill hitting a choke slam by biting his hand as a heel would and then hitting this body slam which got like one of the biggest reactions of the entire show just a body slam the way that mjf just sold it goes over yeah. brilliant baby face tags in adam cole he runs wild they eventually they don't hit the double clothesline, and the crowd was chanting double clothesline throughout the throughout a long part of this. But instead, MJF hits the hit seeker on Brian Cage. Adam Cole drops the boom on him, gets the pin. They advance in the finals where they'll fight Guevara and Garcia. But I just thought this was a everything they did with Cole and MJF was a big win on this night. It's, uh, AEW right now is really feeling like a promotion that is both in front of and behind the camera finding their niche as more of a 
I hate this term, but we're going to go with it because people understand it as a sports entertainment company. You know what I mean? Like they're really getting it together in that way. And I thought this was a lot of fun. One thing that uh, you didn't touch on that I will real quick. Adam Cole was on the phone with Burt Baker and she didn't seem too happy. Mm. I don't know if maybe there was a call from Max or you're led to believe that like she, she thinks he did something, but there was that little beat in there that I wonder how they're going to follow up on. I think it was just there for comedy, light relief thing. I don't think they're actually going to build anything significant off of it. But, um, oh, and I also just add to this as well that uh, Brian Cage and Big Bill are a tag team that should stick around for a long time. Big Bill is having a really good run. You know, it's crazy. He's having a fun run as a wrestler right now on TV. Uh, we had the women's uh, first semi-final now because of the delay to the Athena and Will Nightingale match uh, between Sky Blue and Ruby Soho. Uh, again, decent match between these two. Nothing super special, but uh, Ruby gets the victory, did it without the interference of uh, the outcasts who were ejected pretty early on in the match. So she just outsmarts and gets the victory over Sky Blue, advances to the final. Yeah, what do you think? Uh Fun match, and I think Sky Blue, I thought there was a chance she could win it, but I think Ruby will end up falling to add the babyface Willow in the finals. We might as well talk about that now, so spoilers for anyone that wants to hear it. So on Rampage, we had uh, Willow Nightingale versus Athena in the finals and as expected considering the fact that ruby soho is one half of that willow nightingale does defeat athena so she does advance to the final i'm fully behind ruby soho getting the victory i think that she's going to win the own hearts tournament um, except for the fact that ian riccoboni on ring of honor said they're waiting to announce an opponent for athena based on the own heart cup tournament yeah. Finals, so I don't know if they'll do Ruby Athena, but they could. No, they announced that. I, 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 I don't know if it was properly announced, but I saw somewhere that it said that Willow Nightingale's match with Athena is both a advancement in the tournament, but Willow, if Willow beats Athena, she also gets a title shot against Athena. That's fun. I mean, either way, that looks like one match that we can pencil in for Death Before Dishonor, and it's a good one to go to. And I, I'm a really big fan. So then we had Nick Wayne's debut against Swerve Strickland. Um, again, really good match. I think that having seen their uh, Defy title match that they had a couple of months back, where Nick Wayne defeated Swerve Strickland to become the Defy champion, uh, that was definitely this was like a condensed version of that match. There were a few like different spots they threw in here, but for the most part, it was pr- it pretty much followed the same beats. And you had Swerve Strickland eventually overcome the inex- the more inexperienced, younger performer, gets the victory. Uh, but, you know, a good showing for a new face in the company. Really fun match. I think a lot of people bought into it immediately. So he is going to get over right quick. They wasted no time in running the um, McWayne is all elite package, mm-hmm. which I think is... Smart, but also made me wonder about another young talent, Billy Starks, who has not received the same graphic. 
and I, I don't know if that's just different career goals or what's up with that, but good to see Nick Wayne you know, landing on his feet. And then in the closing angle of the show, we had like Don Callis come out, kind of promo. Kenny Omega comes out to confront him. He gets taken out by some members of the Black Comic Club. And then when he beat, you know, he fights them away. Instead, who comes out to take him out? But Pack, Pack is back in AEW, and he is the fifth member of the Blackpool Combat Club team. So it's not Jericho, it's not Chris Hero, as I potentially posited last week. It's not uh, not CM Punk to just add all of that animosity to the elite thing that some people I know were like fantasy booking. But Pack makes total sense. Like he was taken out. Uh, and injured by the elite in their um, sequence of matches for, over the trio championship. So no doubt he would want to just get revenge on them. And yeah, I think that this, yeah, it's a totally great choice for him to be involved in this match. I will be that guy and say it is still no, there is no acceptable substitution for Brian Danielson. No. The pack is phenomenal. And I think that it'll be a great, addition to the match as it stands and but then then, go ahead but then uh so they're about to they're about to pilmanize omega's neck and then it goes kind of full anime this segment where moxley just basically says any last words kenny omega and kenny just grabs the has the microphone put in his face he says yeah look at the screen we've got a fifth member too and then the screen plays and uh, we show clips of Kota Ibushi is finally going to be part of, even if it's at the moment, as all reports are suggesting, it's just like a one-off thing at the time being, or it's just a per-appearance deal. But he is going to be in AEW for the first time, joining the Elite to form the Golden Elite to take on the Blackpool Combat Club. And the crowd goes crazy on that announcement. The other members of the Elite come in, they clear the ring to save Omega, and yeah, that is our Blood and Guts match set for next week. So it is Moxley, Willie Uta, Claudio Castagnoli, Kenosuke Takeshita, and Pac versus Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Hangman Adam Page, and Kota Ibushi. It's really cool. Um, you easily could have packed Wembley with this. With this alone, you could have packed Wembley. Um, yeah, Ibushi's finally back, and I think a lot of people are going to get what they want. I don't know if. If you parlay this into, and the elite wins, and Omega goes for Don Callis, and bam, Jericho, or bam, next guy in the Don Callis family, or if you just have them win. You know what I mean? But mm. I like where this is going, and I'm excited for next next Wednesday. I think that it's, I'd be pretty convinced that the Golden Elite are winning blood and guts and that kind of draws the line between the elite and the blackpool combat club and it just then focuses all attention on omega and Takeshita slash callus so we'll focus focus on that side of things but i'm super excited for next week i think it's going to be a great match and thus make it a great show because it's going to take up at least half of the show so um Talk a little bit about what's happening on Rampage just to round off the AEW stuff, just because it's going to lead into uh, some quick predictions about uh, uh, Battle of the Belts. So I won't go through every single match just in case you want to watch it, but essentially what's come out of Rampage is that we learned that 
uh, Ty Valkyrie is going to challenge Tony Storm for the um, AEW Women's Championship. Uh, that's obviously Tony Storm's going to retain. Yeah, I mean, it's Canada. So if they really feel like, oh, we got to give her the hometown pop, it could be Taya. But I don't, I don't see that. Um, we know that on a previous announcement that what was announced in Dynamite that uh, Sean Spears is going to challenge Luchasaurus for the TNT Championship. I, I love that this is about you know Christian Cage, but he just never has to wrestle. Mm. That's smart, and yeah. obviously Luchasaurus is going to win because this is his first defense. Yeah, absolutely. And Sean Spears is not winning the TNT Championship as much as again it is in Canada. I don't think that's going to happen. And then the other match that's been announced for, well, that will be announced post-Rampage for Balor Belt will be uh, Orange Cassidy defending the AEW International Championship against Lance Archer. Man, that's interesting. So this is the one that definitely has the biggest scope for a potential title change. I would be pretty upset, though. Not going to lie. I think there are better people you could use to put over by beating Orange. And not that Lance Archer is a bad choice, but Archer, he's kind of one of those guys now that you look at as, you know, past their prime in AEW, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I, I, I definitely still think that Orange Cast is going to retain here, but they've, they, with the, like the size of Archer and the fact that Cassidy is kind of, let's say, more and more of a beating with every title defense, it does give you at least some scope to believe that they might switch the titles. So, so yeah, that's probably the biggest incentive to watch that show is that, first of all, first of all, you get to see another Orange Cassidy match, and every Orange Cassidy match recently has been great. But, uh, but yeah, there might be a title change. So I, 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 again, think that, as the case with most Battle of the Belts, it hasn't been very well built, and, it's, uh, and there's really less... There's not very much jeopardy about any of the matches, so... But I'll still probably end up watching it because the matches at least sound good. I mean, the key is just don't change the channel. You know, like Mm. it's just going to pop on right after Collision. And as long as you're during Collision, you can just do that as well. So that's all the AEW stuff. So let's round off with just a recap on what's been happening in WWE over the past week. Um, Let's start a bit on SmackDown. Like, again, I'm not as in the bubble on this, but I do know that on SmackDown we had the... uh, the trial of Roman Reigns was the big kind of drawing point. It was about a 38-minute segment, I believe. This was, like... So this, this was the MSG show, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I am I know that, at least from what reports I read, suggested that this was a 38-minute segment that was supposed to go 20 minutes. Yep. That sounds about apropos for everything the Bloodline have done. Not that that's a bad thing, necessarily. It's just... Come on now, it didn't need to go that long. Yeah, so I know that it so it established Jay Uso versus Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship at um, at SummerSlam. And Which I don't know if they officially, officially announced, but it's definitely where they're going. And then apparently the rest of the show was completely plagued by timing issues, which meant that certain matches went super short and other segments had to be either cut or changed on the fly because of that overrunning as long as it did so i know there was a match with was there a match with carrying cross and aj styles it went about two minutes yep and 
this is the worst possible use of AJ Styles at this point in his career. And I like Cross, but like AJ needs to be as in the main event scene as you can get him. And this is not it. And um, Austin Fury defend the US title against Sheamus. Sheamus did not win, which sucks for my fantasy league team. That's about all I'd say about that. Um, you had um, you had Edge be on the Grayson Waller effect, and Grayson Waller was trying to tease Edge to say that he retires. Edge didn't. Instead, fought Grayson Waller and beat him on a match in SmackDown. Which is so. cool. Like I, if I'm Edge, I want to wrestle in the Garden for potentially one last time as well. Was anything else that important on SmackDown? Um, no, you really covered it all because you got to think the bloodline literally took half the show. Yeah. So it was a great segment. And again, this stuff is going to be the kind of angle that is talked about for years and years to come as a legendary thing. But in real time, it does take a lot away from everybody else. Let's move on to Raw then. Again, I don't really have much like written down at this point in time but so from my recollection at the very least there was a lot of stuff with like there was a judgment day there was meant to be a Rollins versus Dominic match which got interrupted and then turned into a six man at the end of the show where judgment day defeated Rollins Owens and Sami Zayn yeah it took about six months after Rhea Ripley saying we run Monday Night Raw for it to be true, but the Judgment Day were all over the show. They do actually run Monday Night Raw. They ran NXT this week, too. Uh, but the Judgment Day are the main focal point of the show. And then there's a few other bits and pieces, like I know Shane Baszler won a match. They built, continued Ronda built. came out, beat her up. Yeah. Poor Emma. Were, Just, I don't have anything to say. Beyond. Poor Emma. There's another random tag match. Like after like Sonya Deville and Chelsea Green just beat everyone easily in the build up to like them challenging for the women's title, they decided, okay, I'll just put you on in a match with one of the teams that you beat easily. Just like beat them easily. Like weird that they're all in on these two right now. Yeah, so I think that there's there's a good possibility of they're winning the tag team titles pretty soon. Um because you gotta just pad out the numbers. Like more reigns is a good thing. Um, other than that, is there anything else that stood out on Raw to you? Uh, McIntyre won his first match since April. They are stupidly doing another Indu share is coming. Veer won't stop coming. I don't know why they can't just stick with something with these two. And uh, Zoe Stark beat Becky Lynch because Trish Stratus helped her. Mm-hmm. And, oh yes, Bronson Reed attacked Tomasa Ciampa in an ODQ match with The Miz. Miz did a wonderful promo backstage where he's like, I'm back, I'm a winner, and I'm back, I'm the most dangerous man in this company. I I like Miz when he's on. Oh, and if you didn't know, Cody Rhodes wants Brock at SummerSlam. He wants a rubber match with Brock, which makes me think that they're going to wrestle with that rubber chicken. They they could. (laughs) They they definitely could. They're Um, going to be tied together by that rubber chicken. The first, one to hit, the first one to, like, it's got, the rubber chicken's going to be high on a pole. The first one to grab the rubber chicken and squeeze it wins. I, I, I would watch that match. I really, really would. But um, obviously they're going to, like, a bull rope or whatever. Logan Paul and Ricochet, 
I like it because I like the fact that Ricochet is getting a featured match. But, you know, this was exactly what we thought it would be. Yeah. Getting out of Money in the Bank. Suck it, Tony. I don't even watch the product. I knew they were going to do Ricochet and Logan Paul at Summers, no? As soon as I saw Ricochet in the commercial, I was like, that's not right. Oh, he must be doing this. And then, okay, so let's round it off then with uh, your favorite show of the week, NXT. My favorite show of the week, because it's the show that I watch. I I mentioned it earlier. Judgment Day, the hook of this week's episode of NXT was the Judgment Day being all over the show. They open the show. They, you know, everybody's getting cheered. And then Dominic Christie gets booed. Out come Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes. They challenge them to a tag team match that does get made official. Okay, a lot of the the hooks for this were uh, Tony D'Angelo is in jail, and Dax had to wrestle Joe Coffey, and if he won, they got a title shot. If he lo- and, and Tony D is free, and if he lost, there would there would be a trial of Tony D, and I guess that was the hook to make you think he could. Sax could lose because, you know, they've run trial segments before. Obviously, Sax wins. Joe Coffey tells him to lay down, but he says, I, I was never a rat. We fooled you, pal. Ha, ha, ha. And, and obviously, Tony D is free from jail, and you have to assume that the D'Angelo family will be getting a title shot at the Great American Bash. Do you have any interest in this one way or the other? I wasn't even listening to what you were saying. So <laughs> nice. no, 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 I don't have any interest. It seems like a really dumb storyline. Um, Chase University win a tag team match. The hook here was that Thea Hale used a Kimura lock on Gulak on the outside, preventing him from interfering with the pinfall. So, you know, they get the win there. Thea Hale's like, I made Tiffany Stratton tap. I'm going to get another shot at the title. I am the Kimura. So that's her new finisher. They're establishing her as somebody who can make you have that with a Kimura, which I just think is funny because that's Brock Lesnar's move, and she's the antithesis of Brock Lesnar. Um, Cora Jade won in a match against Kalani Jordan, who is tied to Dana Brooke. That tells you what you need to know. Dijak um, is pissed that people care about Eddie Thorpe after he won the NXT Underground. So presumably they're going to fight in some kind of big match at the pay-per-view. Let's talk about this number one contenders match because if you didn't watch it, I suggest that you do because everything Ilya Dragunov does is phenomenal. Ilya Dragunov beats Braun Breaker in a hard-hitting contest for the number one contendership. He will now face Carmelo Hayes at the pay-per-view. What did you think of that? What do you think of this match if you saw it? I have not watched it. It's one of the ones that I might check out because, again, the two names I'm interested in. So, but yeah, I, I think that I'd be happy to see Ilya Dragunov challenge for the championship because he's great. He's one of my favorites. And um, yeah, I think that he would have a great match with Kamala Hayes. But I am not convinced it's going to be one on one. I would I would be all right with however they choose to go because the people involved are on fire. Wesley was being interviewed by Mackenzie Mitchell. Dominic Mysterio shows up and is like, hey, I'm accepting your open challenge. That doesn't exist, but you know he's like, ah, I'm gonna beat you, and you're afraid of me because I'm I'm dirty Dom, and I went to jail. So next week, there's a potential that Dominic Mysterio could be the NXT North American Champion. I think he should be. I really do think that Dom should 
kind of get away from Raw and maybe get some more time to shine on NXT outside of just being the annoying guy that Rhea Ripley is around. Um, There's a Baron Corbin vignette. He's Last week, he burned his old gimmicks. This week, he continued saying he wants no gimmicks in the future. I will let you respond to the Wesley thing and the Dominic thing and this, but I do have to say that they're ruining this immediately by saying some TikTok chef is going to be at SummerSlam to roast Baron Corbin to his face. Like, you're doing something here, and now I fear they're just going to piss it all down the drain because TikTok. But, yeah, what do you think about all that? Um, I can get the idea of Dominic Mysterio winning the title, but I just think that it's a bit... I don't know. I don't like the idea. I think that his character works when he's not winning. Like That's kind of the thing for me with him, is that you don't actually want him winning anything. You just want him to be soaking up a lot of hate and losing all the time. But, uh, but yeah, I could see that potentially happening. I think it might be a bit of a, a damp way to end Wesley's run, but you never know. And then, uh, yeah, the Corbin thing. Who cares? It's Baron Corbin. Yeah. Uh, schism confronted Ivy Nile after she lost to Tiffany Stratton. They said there's always room for more members. The dyad seemed fully in, in with the schism again. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Ulysses Leon and Valentina Furish made fun of Noam Dar because he was supposed to have uh, supernova sessions, but was just too forlorn about losing his trophy. Angel Garza and Umberto Carrillo come up, hit on them, and they kind of get chased off by uh, Nathan Fraser and Dragon Lee. I gonna I, listen. It's the lowest on the totem pole thing, but I'm just gonna go ahead and say, but the girls with Los Lotharios. It just adds to the package, you know? And then in the name of that, uh, Balor and Priest defeat Hayes and Williams when Ilya tried to stop Priest from using the Money in the Bank briefcase. Instead, he, um, he um, Hayes ends up knocking into Ilya, which means he gets hit with the briefcase. Coup de gras, one, two, three, and we're out of here. Yeah, that's the thing that's like giving me a bit of pause for is the fact that in the tag team match where you have Trick Williams right there, you decided to have Finn Balor pin Carmella Hayes. What do you think, Balor? Do you think they're sticking around in NXT? I think I think there's a good chance that the next show, the next big show, they've got it's the main event is Carmella Hayes versus Ilya Dragunov versus Finn Balor for the NXT Championship. I I wouldn't I wouldn't be against that. But uh, but yeah, apparently they're also still saying that they're well, at least reports are suggesting that uh, it's going to be Balor versus Rollins again for the championship at SummerSlam. At this so. point, I think you should add a gimmick. I think it might just be like Priest, even though he has the briefcase. I think he might just they might just do a triple threat. Mm. But yeah, okay. So that's uh, that's NXT rounded up, and that rounds up all the TV talk, and that pretty much rounds up. Pretty bumper edition of the hot tags. Got through quite a lot there, and very little of it actually concentrating on some of the bigger promotions. But there's big things happening in wrestling right now, and it's quite an exciting time. It's going to be an exciting summer. G1 is going to be something that's going to be consuming me for quite a lot over the next couple of weeks. So definitely talk about that. I might 
whenever we're on the hot tags, obviously we're on the hot tags every week, but might be just a case that I'll keep watching that stuff and give over some recommendations every week about the stuff that I have watched and what stuff that maybe you guys would want to go check out. And yeah, that's going to be, look forward to Slammiversary tomorrow and all the other stuff that's going on. So yeah, interesting week in wrestling. Good week to yeah. get things going. And if you are interested in the other things in wrestling outside of WWE and AEW, there is, of course, Fightful.com and Wrestling.com, where I am every week as a writer. And I will be covering Slammiversary, I'm sure. Of course, we'll have coverage of Collision. Everything major going on in the world of wrestling, Fightful is covering it. And, of course, there's Fightful Select. And you get early reports like that major report that Callum ran down about what's banned in AEW currently. And, of course, every dollar helps, and I appreciate it. All of that, and as for me personally, you can follow me at Duke Police on everything, and check out the the new Ring of Honor React show I'm on on the Love Wrestling platform every Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern time. But Callum, tell them where they can find you. So you can find me on Twitter at most 14 You can check out over on SmartCamera.com, which is the place you should be going for a lot of great like articles and features and. TV reports and all that great stuff and the infamous here on face to list. Uh, you can check all that everybody's stuff out. Favorite. Yeah, everybody's favorite. Uh, check all that stuff out over at smartcomer.com. But while you're there, definitely head over to the power rankings every single Saturday. That is my weekly contribution where I rank the WWE superstars based on their performances in the previous week. And then you can also follow the Fantasy League, where me, Rob, and Tony, our teams have been picking up points ever since uh, WrestleMania Backlash. Heading into SummerSlam is the next big stop point for that, where we'll be adding to our teams and maybe making a few change-ups here and there. But, uh, yeah, make sure you're following along over at uh, Swarka Moment, or you can head straight to www.fantasyleague.com to handle all that stuff. Of course, if you've enjoyed what you've listened to here, do drop a like. Leave a comment below. Let us know your thoughts on any of the things that we've discussed on this previous edition, what you're looking forward to in G1, or if you're watching Anniversary, or you're really excited to see Drew McIntyre in that new movie and any other movie roles you'd like to see him do. Could he be the new Braveheart? Who knows? Or that's the next Bond. Probably not. But hey, yeah. he could be a yeah. good henchman. Yeah. Just drop all those thoughts for your next uh, your next major film role, role for Drew McIntyre in the comments below. And uh, yeah. Obviously, any support that you can give via the Patreon or through Redbubble Tea Public, buying some merch, anything along those lines, again, always greatly appreciated. And Tony would also appreciate if you check out Fanboys Anonymous, check out the Blueprint Project, follow him over on A Mango Tree and all the stuff that he has going on there as well. And yeah, I think that's going to round us up pretty nicely at about two and a half hours in. So hope you've enjoyed this bumper edition of the Hot Tag 606 over from the Smart Cat uh, Moment and the Smack Talk podcast. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again real soon. But for now, this has been another Smart Count moment and we are being counted out.